excited about the other portfolios, but the National Treasury is also one of the portfolios, and it has a hefty uh, budget itself. I'm more interested, in fact, in the allocation problem. In other words, also, how do we decide whether health should get more than education uh, and 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 all the other possibilities i'm going to to return to that there has been a number of let's say philosophical ideas already on the table yesterday for instance in the the closing remarks by the honorable chief whip i will get back to that so the article i published 10 years ago was uh, will the money bills act amend or enhance the powers of the purse and i predicted that it won't and i'm here today to stand to be corrected but that's good and academic that's that uh, that's the game we're in we're in the game of being corrected so i'd i've got Ten little points. The first one I've already dealt with. The second point, uh, uh, Chairperson, please allow me to speak a little bit about the basic concepts underlying this whole debate. And the two concepts that that I would like to emphasise is the concept of the separation of powers that has already been on the table yesterday, and the other concept is the power of the purse. Now, the separation of powers, I think, is an idea that is, in theory, accepted by all. We all realize that the separation of powers, firstly, between the legislature, the executive, and the judiciary, is actually the basis of democracy, or one of the pillars of democracy. But it is also uh, a pillar of any good government, even in a non-democratic uh, situation. And the examples we find that is in the, the history of, of ancient Israel, just to give you a, a, a sort of a, an, another take on the separation of powers. In ancient Israel, the king was not allowed to perform religious duties. Some of them tried that and they were heavily punished for that. But the other very interesting aspect of that state setup was the law of the land was actually given outside the land. So the, the law was given before they entered the land. And that is a very, very strong separation of legislative powers and executive powers. The separation of powers between the executive uh, and the legislature is extremely complex in the field of budgeting and in the field of oversight. We heard yesterday that uh, Professor Corder spoke about the uh, emendatory oversight, and he said that maybe the legislature is there overstepping its bounds when it makes too detailed uh, amendments 
to the actions of the executive. Also, when I worked on this article more than 10 years ago, uh, uh, Mr. Frankie Jenkins, some of you might remember him, uh, the legal advisor of parliament, also told me that, that I must not grant policy-making powers to uh, the legislature. And in budgeting, in, in allocating money to departments, to various functions, that is very, very close to, um, very, very close to policy making. But still, the, the point that, that was made yesterday is that the budget regulates the executive by establishing uh, patterns of expenditure. So let's get to the idea of the power of the purse. The power of the purse means that the legislature has power over the executive, the ability to tax and spend money for the national government. That gives them uh, strong powers that originally the English Parliament asserted over their king. And that is still the basic idea. What's interesting is that uh, it is also very strong in the, in the U United States political setup. And uh, uh, I can get back to that. But the other aspect, uh, Chairperson, is that internationally, the power of the purse has not been so successful so that uh, Joachim Werner wrote a book also about 10 years ago. And the, the title of the book is Legislatures and the Budget Process, the Myth of Fiscal Control. But that myth, that ideal, let's not call it the myth, let's call it the ideal, that ideal that, that the legislature would exert fiscal control is an ideal that I believe should be retained and should be worked for. My third point is this. Obviously, Chairperson, there must be a balance, and that is towards what we are all working and striving for. There must be a balance between a legislature and a treasury. And, and I want to put the, uh, the more philosophical question on the, the table. What is the ideal relationship? And how should that relationship be framed in the long run? Uh, Dr. Miller made the important point when talking about the Moneyballs Act that one must not only uh, read the Moneyballs Act in the current political situation because political situations change. And the basic question to which I would like to contribute is to say, but what is the, what is the, the long-term ideal relationship between uh, legislature and treasury. And it, it doesn't matter whether we speak here of, of national treasury or provincial treasuries. 
obviously we are striving towards a balance because both of these are needed and but there must be more than a balance there must of course be a collaboration and how must this collaboration look and is the situation created by the money bills act uh, ideal I'll come back to that just to emphasize again that Dr. Miller stressed how difficult it is to navigate all the provisions of the existing bill. Now, internationally, uh, legislatures are divided between what they call budget approving, budget influencing, and budget making le legislatures. Now the US, the US uh, Congress definitely is a budget making legislature. And that is actually the ideal uh, of, of the power of the purse. And uh, the question that, that the honorable members must deal with is how much is the South African parliament already a budget making legislature? Do they want to go there? Or are they satisfied with the current situation of being a budget uh, influencing legislature? Professor Corder mentioned yesterday uh, that uh, the previous system had a lap dog parliament. And of course, in this context, we, sp we spoke about a rubber stamp parliament, that, that the legislature just rubber stamps the, the um, suggestions put forward uh, by the, the uh, Treasury. Now, of course, the power of the purse of a legislature must be balanced with fiscal discipline. In other words, these two things must both be achieved at the same time, and uh, there, there might be some trade-offs here. My personal view is that greater powers to the South African uh, legislature, and by that I mean the exercise of uh, greater powers by the legislature, would not be against uh, fiscal discipline per se. It's very interesting, Chairperson, that if one reads the literature, which was written by economists mostly about this topic, is that the legislatures are always thought about as instances of naughtiness. They always think of things like how can we prevent a populist legislature, as they call it, to mess up the economy. But that kind of question uh, can of course also be asked about uh, a treasury. And uh, I still maintain the balance always must be maintained. Just a short footnote, I'm very positive about the National Treasury of South Africa. They, they are, in my view, a very, uh, a very good, one of the outstanding departments of state and if one looks, for instance, at our estimates of national expenditure and related 
budget documentation to which the deputy minister referred yesterday. These are excellent, outstanding, world-class documents. So I'm not speaking about our own treasury, but I'm I'm going into uh, perhaps more philosophical uh, questions and and critically examining them. The fourth point, uh, honourable chairperson, is who should govern us? Is it technocrats or is it the people shall govern? And of course, the people shall govern means the legislature shall govern. So we are talking about uh, the the question whether we as uh, as society should submit ourselves to our representatives that we have chosen, that we have elected, or are we submissive towards people that we have not appointed because they, they are appointed officials by the government. And, and the, the, the German philosopher uh, Jürgen Habermas uh, said that in his critique on science and technology is that we live uh, in the society worldwide uh, under ideology that reduces practical questions about the good life to technical problems for experts. And Habermas goes on to say, contemporary elites eliminate the need for public democratic discussions of values and thereby depoliticizing the population. It is, of course, his critique of, of capitalism. And perhaps one should not put it as radically as as he did, but there's there's a, a need when it comes to the budget for a discussion in Parliament of a practical nature about uh, the ideal life of the people in South Africa. And and this brings uh, the next point. That, that I want to contrast two things and separate them, namely technical, in economic, and financial expertise on the one hand and allocation of resources to the various state functions on the other. And, and what are the contributions respectively of a treasury and a legislature to the budget process in the interest of the people they should serve? Obviously, Treasury brings the expertise. It is in the first place the knowledge of the probable effects, economic effects, fiscal effects of various uh, budget possibilities. And the Treasury is the one, and I think they are all Treasuries are like that. They know what we can afford, how much we can borrow, what the economic outlook is. Etc. This is typically what, what any treasury can provide to his principal. Uh, and a, a good example of that is the fiscal framework that, that is required by the Money Bills Amendment Act. For instance, the, the fiscal framework 
speaks there of key fiscal ratios for the next three financial years, the, the builder, the actor is that, including revenue, expenditure, the primary and overall balance and outstanding general government and public sector debt at the end of the financial year as a percentage of gross domestic product. That is technical. The economists know what to do about that, and, and we should respect them for that. But the, the Treasury is the expert, the financial economic expert, but a Treasury in general cannot tell in the public sphere its principle what they should spend on the money on. And that is the big, big political decision that is actually sitting inside the budget, is, is how should the resources that Treasury has told us we have available, and that I accept 100%, but how should that resources be allocated between the different needs, the different funks, uh, fi functions in society? That problem does not have a technical solution, as far as I know. That problem has a political solution. And therefore, the allocation of resources between the, the various functions, to my mind, is best addressed in a multi-party parliament that can easily amend money bills submitted by the executive. And the, uh, the allocation of money is not only about efficient, efficiency. You can have the most advanced and efficient ladder, but if it's standing against the wrong wall, it doesn't help anything. So that, that basic uh, political decision must be uh, less hard for the legislature to make. My next point deals with the Constitution. I think uh, it is already well known, but just to repeat, is that uh, as I understand the power of the person, our Constitution, it goes back to uh, Section 213 that says money may be withdrawn from the National Revenue Fund only in terms of an appropriation by an act of parliament. That is how money is withdrawn. The second is, of course, also a, as a direct charge. And very interestingly, in the United States Constitution, the wording is very much the same, and that's, a, that's an old document. The wording there is, no money shall be drawn from the treasury but in consequence of appropriations made by law. Now, I want to do a little exercise here, Chairperson. Uh, nearly, I think I've heard that four or five times is that the resources allocated to Parliament is a problem. Because if Parliament sh uh, should or could be in a position to deal with amendments to money bills, there must be a very strong uh, economic 
budgetary support from their side as well, and of course, other general support. So the, the, the allocation to parliament is, is crucial, and I, I've been saying that uh, for years and years, parliament should be better resourced. But now let's do the experiment and say, okay, Parliament, we've just heard that, that we can uh, withdraw money by means of an appropriation uh, act, appropriation act from the, uh, from the National Revenue Fund. Let's draw up the legislation. Then, unfortunately, two other sections of the, uh, of the Constitution comes into play. And that is Section uh, 73.2 of the Constitution that say provides that only the cabinet member responsible for national financial matters may introduce a money bill. Uh, I call that the exclusivity of initiative. So where I support the Honorable Chai, the point he made yesterday to introduce that bill, you'll have to go to the Minister of Finance. And further, Section 55 actually prevents other members, uh, well, the National Assembly, to initiate or prepare legislation uh, except for money bills. Let me just repeat, the National uh, Assembly can initiate or prepare legislation, but not money bills. That brings us to the structure and workings of the Act. I think Dr. Miller covered that really excellently. Um, one of the points that he actually was on the money about is that there's a, there's a strict sequencing building, built into the Money Bills Amendment Act of the steps that must be followed one after the other, and he, in an exemplary fashion, showed that in a certain at a certain stage there is no back going back for the legislature in amending. So, so it it all starts, of course, with the acceptance of the fiscal framework, and that fiscal framework actually funnels the legislature as in a fish trap. Uh, and if they once they've accepted that, there is, in the cases that Dr. Miller uh, pointed out, no turning back. He also mentioned correctly that should Parliament decide to amend money bills, there are certain uh, norms and standards, certain fiscal rules that they must follow. And he asked the question, but uh, is uh, Treasury subject to those same rules in encapsulated in legislation when they draw up um, the, uh, the 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 budget as a as a bill as the four bills? <clears throat> so I just want to ask the question again. Did the Money Bills Act indeed strengthen the power of the purse? There, there has been, Dr. Miller pointed out, there has been influence, for instance, on conditional grants, but that is already after the 
the battle was won or lost in the the appropriation the the major appropriation act so uh, allow me to conclude honorable members honorable chairperson <clears throat> for me this whole thing is a question of uh, a certain spirit and i wanted to nudge the honorable members in the direction where they perhaps think a little bit differently about their relation to treasury in a different uh, spirit in a spirit not of subservience to technical experts and they are technical experts there's there's no doubt about that but but my wish is that the legislature should really um, be self-confident with the confidence that behooves uh, the representatives of our people. Thank you very much. Chair, the prof has concluded the presentation. Uh, the deputy chair is there. Please, can you stand in for the chair? Okay. Sorry. Sorry, sorry about that. Uh, I, I was saying that uh, 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 we will now move on to uh, the replacement, as I said earlier on. Uh, and, and they have Commissioner S.A.B. Rockman uh, making a presentation. Commissioner. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Uh, good morning, everyone. <clears throat> um, let me just apologize for um, Professor Sachs, who could not be with us today. He has um, conflicting obligations, so the request was made that I stand in for him. <clears throat> um, thank you very much for the opportunity to be part of this workshop. The primary focus of the Financial and Fiscal Commission is the equitable division of nationally collected revenue amongst the three spheres of government and any other financial and fiscal matters. Now, in the execution of our mandate, we interact regularly with standing and select committees on appropriations and finance, more specifically on the division of revenue bill, the appropriations and adjustment appropriation bill, and of course, our annual submission for the division of revenue. We also interact with various other committees of the NA and the NCOP, and we are often requested in these engagements to focus on the financial and non-financial performance of national government departments as well as their entities. Now, we welcome the opportunity to contribute to the discussion on effective fiscal oversight, particularly within the context of the Money Bill Amendment Procedure and Related Matters Act. Fiscal accountability and or the lack thereof will continue to be critical in the pursuit of effective service delivery, maximizing value for money and the prudent and efficient management of public expenditure. Parliaments across the world are showing increased activism in public budgeting and demanding far more intense scrutiny, not only of the budget, but for increased accountability, accessibility and transparency regarding the performance of the executive branch of government 
in managing public resources. Most democratically elected legislatures require revenue and spending measures to be approved by Parliament as the apex lawmaking body. To fulfill this obligation, Parliament must ensure that the revenue, tax and borrowing and spending measures it authorizes are physically sound, match the needs of the population with available resources and are implemented effectively and efficiently. The increasing role of Parliament in budgetary issues emanates from the realization that fiscal oversight is necessary for growth, development and fiscal sustainability. Recurring global incidents of economic and public finance crises demands of parliaments and legislatures to take an even greater interest in the formulation and execution of the budget than ever before. The outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic and the resulting widespread budget adjustments is a recent example of one such crisis that has ignited legislatures across the globe to prioritize and strengthen fiscal scrutiny. Parliaments are a key factor in the system of budget checks and balances, not only in the debate and approval of the annual budget, but also in the ex-ante analysis of fiscal reforms and their fiscal impact, auditing public spending, monitoring public investment, and exposed accountability for executing the budget. Effective fiscal oversight commences with a delegate division of responsibilities between Parliament and the Executive Budget Office. The absence of a balance between the two often creates unnecessary tension and competition for control that may be misconstrued as legislative interference or executive disobedience. Further, effective fiscal oversight is also dependent on the information and time available to examine the budget. Limited information and time to scrutinize the budget puts Parliament at a disadvantage. Our reference to time in this context refers to the time frame within which Parliament is expected to conclude its consideration of the relevant money bills by the Standing and Select Committees. The committee is to formulate and finalize its reports, including recommendations, and for Parliament to conclude its processes to approve or reject the relevant money bills. Parliamentary committee structures are also central to the budget influence and fiscal oversight. The sheer complexity and details of the modern-day <coughs> modern budget necessitates that committees must be well-structured, resourced, and equipped to review the budget. To, start, to discharge their budget scrutiny roles, committees must have access to information from finance ministries and line ministries, as well as access to independent expertise. Frequent consultations between committees and ministries to... <coughs> On a, sorry, frequent consultations between communities and ministries on budget implementation outside the normal process of budget cycles are desirable, as this will provide the legislature with sufficient information to consider the budget or hold the executive accountable. As we deliberate around ways to improve parliamentary fiscal oversight, it is important to reflect on some of the ongoing challenges that impact on parliaments accountability role. Some of these challenges include synchronizing different, synchronizing different aspects of the accountability chain, addressing performance information management weaknesses, and striking a balance between short-term delivery-focused oversight and long-term outcome-focused oversight. Parliament can rely on a range of legislatively enshrined mechanisms for budget oversight support. 
including detailed audit reports by statutory bodies, reports generated by the IGFR forums, softer intervention to provide capacity where it is lacking, and a more intrusive approach of taking over functions when the executive is unable to fulfill assigned constitutional obligations. The Money Bills Amendment Procedures and the Related Matters Act has indeed improved and streamlined Parliament's ex ante and ex post processes for scrutinizing the budget. It appears that an aspect that could be considered for strengthening is the institutional structures to ensure improved and coordinated oversight between committees responsible for the budget between the two houses. Section 5 of the Act provides for various committees to assess the performance of national departments and to inform their recommendations on approving or amending the budget. The Parliamentary Budget Office must be adequately resourced to ensure that it provides committees with quality research and budget analysis to execute these functions. Now, if we look at the international precedents with parliamentary budget offices and resourcing, you would note that there are wide discrepancies and very, it's very difficult to determine a best practice model. The US budget office has an annual budget of $45 million and 250 staff members, whilst the PBO in Uganda has a budget of 400,000 US dollars and about 27 experts, while the PBO of Jordan um, operates with about three staff members. The independence and integrity of Parliament's PBO also faces various <coughs> challenges and needs to be protected. In Bolivia, for example, the PBO was terminated after seven years due to political issues, which was completely separate from the performance of the PBO. Nonpartisan and independent PBOs can also sometimes be undermined by being underfunded. For example, in Canada, the PBO's budget was cut from 2.8 million Canadian dollars to 1.8 million Canadian dollars after publishing a controversial costing report on the Canadian mission in Afghanistan. The role of the PBO in terms of the budget review recommendation reports also needs to be strengthened and can be extended. Um, some of the suggestions to look at the, the, the PBO's role in that process could include creating a common understanding of the content of budget review recommendation reports. For example, a focus and reaching common understanding on what is an assessment of efficiency and effectiveness, building on other parts of the cycle, oversight over budgets, strat plans, annual reports, and so on. There could also be a greater integration um, with other oversight mechanisms, for example, oversight visits and recommendations, the recommendations of um, institutions supporting democracy, and other constitutional institutions. Now, one of the other notable challenges of the Act is that it prescribes the processes and activities, which are quite time consuming, but it also determines a very short time frame within which Parliament is required to respond to budget documentation. A well-capacitated PBO can mitigate these timing challenges. Um, I hear what Dr. Miller and Professor Powell has been raising about resourcing. And perhaps it's also worthwhile to just reflect that in our traditional parliamentary model, 
the Westminster model, as well as the Commonwealth Division, Parliament should actually have the first claim on the national budget. And to give effect thereto is not necessarily a legislative process, but rather a lobbying and an intergovernmental process where the Speaker's Forum and the National Assembly specifically um, finds a way in which to engage National Treasury on the parliamentary budget requirements that, that does not need an act to take it up with. In conclusion, Parliament's scrutiny of the budget should be seen as an iterative year-long process rather than a once-off event linked to the budget speech. Budget committees must endeavour to aggregate reports from the various committees responsible for the budget, especially Select Committee on Public Accounts and the BRR reports from the various portfolio committees. Importantly, Parliament must be clear about its fiscal oversight agenda and utilize its powers to seek remedial actions. The agenda for fiscal oversight, especially in relation to the Act, need not always be about amending the budget, but ensuring that the fiscal variables are sustainable and the MTSF goals are realized. An all-encompassing budget and fiscal oversight framework will ensure that the implications of budget amendments, as and when they are made, are fully understood by all stakeholders involved so that fiscal integrity is maintained. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much, Sabi. Uh, 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 we, we will now open for uh, comments uh, and questions uh, from participants. Uh, any take? Uh, let's start with the uh, Arnold's. The uh, Arnold's will be followed by, by Dango. Uh, in that order, Arnold's. Uh, thank you, Chairperson, and greetings to all the honorable members and then also to the officials and then also to uh, the presenters. And also thank you for uh, very informative um, presentations by the three uh, presenters. Uh, Chairperson, uh, my questions, uh, I think I have about three questions um, um, to Dr. Muller. Um, Dr. Muller, just uh, um, uh, in terms of your practical uh, suggestions, uh, considerations in reference to uh, members uh, prioritizing specific focus areas uh, when it comes to, to public finance. Uh, we have committees in place, as you are aware. But can you, can you give us uh, these focus areas um, and where, where do we, we uh, need to improve in terms of those focus areas? We all know that uh, members are, are very thin on some of the, the committees, but if you can maybe just give us uh, uh, more examples and where the gaps is. And then um, seeing that you have worked in National Treasury, treasury um, and what um, Professor Powell has mentioned about the oversight over National Treasury, uh, what is your view in terms of oversight over National Treasury? Then, uh, on, on your input on, on budget amendments, we know there wasn't any significant uh, 
budget amendments, but we must prepare for, for those amendments um, uh, in future. Um, um, but, but you have mentioned something there in terms of that uh, we, uh, amendment powers should be taken seriously. Can you, can you also clarify that um, in terms of what you are saying? Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, let's move on to, to Tango, followed by Kenny Muima. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Chairperson, the FFC actually recommends how the revenue should be divided amongst the various jurisdictions. Now, my question is, when there are movement between these jurisdictions, is budget then moved following uh, the population ratios? Uh, and how would the uh, district model be funded uh, from the province or directly from uh, parliament? Um, but I think the important part is what happens when there's a change in ratios uh, from one province to another, from one jurisdiction to another, is that adjusted? Is there a method to adjust it? Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you very much. Muima. Honorable Muima. Thank you, thank you, thank you, uh, Chairperson. Uh, let me yeah, start by uh, extending a word of greetings to the Chair and the leadership of the of the institution and uh, colleagues and the uh, presenters. Secondly, to express my appreciation uh, to, to all the three presenters. Uh, uh, maybe from, uh, let me start uh, from uh, a general question before I go to a specific uh, uh, presenters. The, the issue of double share in terms of the allocation of uh, of, of, of resources uh, to province uh, has been on the cards for quite some time. Uh, and one of the, the issues uh, that has been raised uh, is the uh, amendment to the formula because there are various aspects uh, that uh, uh, the formula considers uh, whether it is an issue of, uh, of uh, population uh, per provinces. Uh, uh, hence, you'll find that uh, uh, provinces that are sparsely populated, uh, like Northern Cape, uh, will always uh, get the smallest of the, of the past. Uh, one of the issues that we have consistently raised in addition to other related aspects, is the issue of the topographical topographical factors, whether you go to KZN, whether you go to CK, whether you go to our province. That matter has been on the cast. I know that there has been a process to try to balance that because, like in our province, it is expensive to, 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 to deliver services because of the vastness of the province, or therefore the little that you get. Instead of uh, like helping, we can, I think, travel to helping uh, in all these uh, regions or, or all these districts in a day. Whereas in, uh, in Northern Cape, for you to travel to, to the furthest point, Alexander Bay, you must spend uh, almost uh, 
1,300 uh, kilos on the road just to reach that point. So just to get a sense from them in terms of uh, uh, are they of the view that there is enough that we have done in terms of the formula for equitable share uh, that is uh, mainly used uh, in terms of uh, distribution of resources. That is the first, the first point that I thought it would be general. The, the, the second one relates to, I think the last, the last, the last presenter uh, from the FFC, I know uh, every, every year there is that interaction between, between FFC and the, and the legislatures uh, around the budgetary process. They will sketch out in, uh, uh, their uh, environment, particularly macroeconomic factors uh, into consideration. And sometimes one gets a sense that uh, uh, not much is taken into account in terms of views that they present. So I want to, to latch on the point that is raised by uh, uh, the presenter, Rockman. Uh, when he really narrated the issue of the what is happening in the in, in the UK system, uh, particularly with the parliamentary system uh, in a common law countries, the first claim uh, will always be parliament. What I want to check from here, again, the fact that uh, there's a difference between a parliamentary system and a constitutionally democratic system where, because of parliamentary system, parliament is the supreme law of the country. And in our situation, because uh, constitution is supreme law of the country, meaning that uh, both three arms of state are equal. Uh, what are the measures that we could take in place uh, to ensure that uh, parliament given the fact that in this instance, constitution in the Supreme Law of the country uh, can be done to effectively put the legislature in a much more better position to, to source itself. Uh, the, 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 the second point related also to that is the, uh, the, the point that he raised uh, around uh, the intrusive uh, takeover of the legislature or the or the uh, or the uh, let's say arrogance uh, displayed uh, probably by the by the uh, uh, executive. I think in this instance, the the, the 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 challenge is how do how do you balance the role that the legislature can play. Uh, in terms of uh, 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 impacting on the processes of the budget, of the budget, without necessarily uh, be seen to be overreaching, I think how do we balance that? Because I think uh, we need to respect the fact that in our situation, the executive, in terms of in terms of the constitution, has certain responsibilities and the legislature has certain responsibilities. So therefore, in our attempt as the legislature, are we not going to be seen to be overreaching or, uh, or, 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 or how do you balance between being an activist parliament without necessarily usurping the powers of the executive? 
the, the third one uh, uh, relates to uh, the point raised by uh, Professor Powell, I think, which is mainly more more uh, uh, philosophical, as, as he pointed out, uh, the power, the power of the purse, the power of the purse. Uh, given the nature uh, of, 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 of our dispensation and where we come from, uh, you'll remember that was the was 1994 uh, when the the new uh, democratic government came into came into into power. Uh, we were facing the same situation that we are facing now, and uh, the. Uh, the RDP document uh, in terms of its intervention specifically focused on a number of areas. Amongst them was to was the independence of the of the of the Reserve Bank, uh, uh, stabilizing stabilizing the government uh, government debt, but also ensuring that we have the necessary macroeconomic uh, framework in place. Uh, but at the same time, overlooking the need. I mean, uh, overemphasizing the need to ensure that uh, uh, there is a, a massive infrastructure on both economic and social spending. Uh, given what we are faced today, what is your view with regard to, to the, the role that the legislature can play uh, in terms of em- ensuring that uh, uh, we are able to, 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 to make tremendous improvement that we're able to make around uh, 2005, uh, 2003 up to 2008, because uh, last year, as, as we all uh, know, uh, the prediction uh, or where we were, we had a minus 7.2 percent in terms of the in terms of the economic growth. Though the prediction is, is that at least this year will be around 2.1 percent. I think because it is important that as as parliament. Uh, our role also must be must be to ensure that uh, much more emphasis is put on on ensuring that uh, there is economic growth, but at the same time ensuring that in terms of the human development index, there is uh, enough uh, 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 funding to be able to broaden the the provision of infrastructure. Uh, the, the 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 last the last point uh, relates to to the point uh, that the first presenter made, there are a number of five points that he raised. The second one was substantive amendment. He made reference to substantive amendment. I did not get that point quite clearly. If uh, he can just probably uh, give more uh, elaboration on that point, because uh, there are four points that he that, that he raised uh, around uh, 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 sequencing. Uh, that has to be prioritized by members because uh, once you miss the first step, uh, particularly around the adoption of the fiscal um, uh, fiscal framework, it means uh, to a certain extent your hands are tied. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you very much. Um, let's move on to Honorable Kadovu. Your points, please. Uh, thank you very much. Yes, thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chairperson. Firstly, let us 
Let me join the queue to welcome all the presentations. I think it's always good to, to hear other perspectives about the work of parliament. <clears throat> now, my question to the three presenters is as follows. I want to know what is the problems what are the problems or the limitations with regard to the current oversight model, the public sector oversight model that is currently applicable to, to our parliament and the legislatures? What are its weaknesses? Because in the three presentations, I, I lack the understanding of what are those weaknesses because for me chairperson we must not be under the impression that parliament or members of parliament do not do oversight we we do oversight but but maybe they could share with us from as outside people what are well, what do they see as the problems with the current model chair as you know the the current model is very much helpful to help us as parliament to evaluate the performance of government as a whole. It also helps us to undertake certain processes in respect of the budget, whether we adopt the budget, whether different departments are coming to us and deal with their own estimates, whether we we look at the annual performance plans of different departments, <laughs> as well as their own budgets. We, we play our role in that particular respect. But, you know, oftentimes, uh, and I hear some of the uh, uh, presenters saying this, oftentimes people are saying, you parliament, you are a lapdog of the ladies, or, or, or of the executive. You do not play your, your role quite effectively. You, you, you rubber stamp what the lady, what the executive is saying to you. I, I dispute that. I, my, my view is that, yes, there are <coughs> some weaknesses. We, we do not do oversight to the best performance because of the problem that I can allude to, uh, Chairperson. But, but, but for me, the impression must not be created that parliament as it stands now, it doesn't play its oversight function. That is why I want to know the centerpiece of my point is for the presenters to say, in what we see in your public sector oversight model, these are the problems and these are the weaknesses. And as members of parliament, look at those particular weaknesses. Chair, I'm also raising this point. For me, it's quite important because we all know that <clears throat> in terms of the separation of power between three arms of government, your legislature, your judiciary, and your, your executive, they, they must be balanced and they must all play their role. If we as parliament, we fail to play our role of holding the executive accountable, it means that there would be weaknesses in the system. And we do not want to see that situation obtaining. And we need to, to identify those areas which, which render us not effective in the way that we should. 
in terms of exercising and performing our, our functions of, of oversight. I'm raising all this, Chair, because I'll give some practical examples. As one of the uh, speakers was indicating, there are certain mandatory responsibilities that we undertake as parliament. For example, when a provincial government places municipalities under section 139, we, we are obligated by this, uh, as this house of parliament, to engage with that process to see to, to see to, to whether or not that the, 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 the executive has followed all the necessary processes in respect of invoking section 139. And at the end of the day, we decide whether we approve or we do not approve that kind of intervention. Whether the national government invokes section 100 of the constitution by placing the provincial government under administration, this committee, this house as you are aware, Chair, it appoints an ad hoc committee to investigate all of this sort of thing. This is, for me, this is how we play our mandatory oversight function. And we play quite effectively as, as multi-party committees in this particular instance. Hence my question, what are the problems in the current, in the current system uh, so that we, we are able to improve those particular problems as we, as we see them? But lastly, <laughs> for example, Chairperson, in terms of the Magistrate Commissions Act, when a particular magistrate is suspended, the commission is obliged by the law to inform parliament, both two houses of parliament, uh, and quarterly they present reports to these particular uh, houses. We engage with those particular processes in very meaningful ways. And at the end of the day, we take a decision whether we approve the suspension, the suspensions of magistrates or not. And for me, this is how I see parliament playing its role to ensure that we oversee the executive functions. But I want to hear from a perspective that is outside as to what are the limitations in that so that as we continue to do our work as parliament, we, we, work, we work towards improving the whole situation. I thought perhaps I must raise this particular issue because where I stand, I know, and in the committees where I serve, I know that we are not left out. We engage robustly with the budget. We engage robustly with the annual performance plans of the departments. We engage robustly with all the programs that are before us as part of our oversight function. And I, I, I don't want to say there are no weaknesses at all. I say there might be weaknesses, but I want to hear what outsiders are saying in terms of identifying those particular weaknesses so that we are able to deal, to deal with them. Uh, thank you very much, Chair, for taking such a long time. But I thought perhaps it was important to elevate this particular point because it keeps on coming and we've got to deal with it in a way that will improve the oversight work of parliament, especially with regard to, to the budget. Uh, thank you very much, Chair. No, thank you very much, Honorable uh, of course, uh, uh, many questions and, 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 and comments have already been, 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 been made. Uh, uh, and, and what we need is, 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 is the responses. 
Um, so we'll go back to the presenters uh, and, and, and find out from them uh, what kind of uh, responses they want to, to give. Uh, the, 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 the questions, of course, range uh, from oversight on, on national treasury uh, to population ratios um, in relation to allocation uh, to uh, 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 the first claim uh, by parliament uh, to the budget uh, to the whole question of uh, uh, role of legislatures and, and, and the question of, of uh, overreaching uh, the power of the purse uh, to um, uh, the problems uh, with the oversight model. Any comment there uh, to the question of uh, laptop uh, legislation in relation to uh, the executive and examples that, that have been given on section 129 of the, the, the Constitution um, uh, uh, to the Magistrate Commission's uh, Act and, and, and so on. Now, can we have uh, responses from the uh, presenters? Uh, let's start with the, uh, uh, Dr. Muda. Thank you, Honourable Chairperson. Um, there are a number of questions that were directed my way. Um, very good questions, and I'm aware that we are short on time, so um, I may not do them full justice, but I'll, I'll do my best, and I'm going to try and link them together where, where they are related. So the first set of questions were from um, Honourable uh, Arnold. Thank you for those questions. Um, the first one was what the I, I referred to focus areas in my presentation, and the question was what should those focus areas be? And that's a that's a more difficult question, I guess, than it seems. One of the things that used to happen when I was at the Parliamentary Budget Office was that we would present to members, and members would say, "Okay, but what what do you think we should do?" And and the response was, "Well, it's not it's not for the PBO, or in, or indeed for." Um, uh, other kinds of advisory bodies to necessarily tell Parliament what to do. FFC actually has the prerogative to make recommendations. Strictly speaking, the PBO do does not. Um, but the, the question of focus areas is, is a political question in, in, in many ways. It's about what, what members feel is important and might be being neglected in, in, the, in the context of, for example, public finance allocations or public finance decisions. Um, so, so the point I was rather making there is that given, given the vast um, obligations placed on Parliament and therefore also on members of relevant committees, but given the, the, the lack of resources and lack of capacity, there's a need to identify um, priorities uh, in order to focus those resources, in order, in order to focus that oversight. Um, so that, that was kind of the, the point that I was making. I perhaps could have made it more clearly. Um, the, the second question was, um, I haven't actually worked for the National Treasury. I've worked for the Parliamentary Budget Office. Um, but I have, in that capacity and in my academic work, paid quite close attention, obviously, to the conduct of the National Treasury because it is the key institution in South Africa in relation to, to public finances. Um, I, I want to say that I, I agree in many respects with what Professor Poe said about the National Treasury as an institution. It, it, it does produce very good work, um, but and, and, and that shouldn't be taken for granted. The National Treasury is also very capable of, of seeing its own praises, and I'm, I'm not going to do that here. What I want to emphasize is that Parliament does have an important role. 
We should separate the oversight of the department from the oversight of the proposals and the propositions put forward by the National Treasury. For the purposes of this um, workshop, I'm, I'm thinking more of the latter, so rather than, rather than departmental oversight per se. Um, and in that regard, uh, you know, any of the propositions put forward by National Treasury in relation to public finance um, can be challenged and 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 amended by by Parliament. Um, and, and I think it's important to um, to recognise that implicit in the in the legislation is is the view that there's nothing that comes from National Treasury that is absolute. And that's one area where I would differ a little bit um, with, with, with Professor Poe, is that even when it, as, an, uh, and as an economist, when it comes to issues like, for example, economic growth projections, um, the extent of national borrowing, um, there isn't, the, these, those are issues that, about which there can be technical debate and disagreement. So, 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 so um, competent individuals can disagree about economic growth forecasts, and one can disagree with the National Treasury growth forecasts. Similarly, one can disagree if National Treasury, for example, in the past, um, various ministers of finance have stated certain thresholds. Uh, above which they believe national borrowing is not stable. It was 40% of GDP and then 50%, and now we know we're, we're heading almost towards, uh, towards 90 and 100%. Um, those, uh, those thresholds are not, um, are not purely technical, um, but even on technical grounds, one could disagree. But more importantly is that almost any finance, uh, public finance decision has what we would call a normative component, which one can also think of as a political component. Any decision, whether it's taxation, expenditure, borrowing, is does have a political component. And so while National Treasury does have relatively good capacity, one still shouldn't necessarily see its propositions as in any way being set in stone, even if they seem to be technical. So I think oversight, you know, in that sense, needs to be informed by that, by that spirit. Um, the third question related to budget amendments, and, and the request was to elaborate on what I mean by taking those seriously. So let me say there's two parts to that. The one I spoke about a bit more in the presentation, and that's to say that committees need to give um, some, some explicit thoughts and, and committee support stuff to how an amendment would actually be processed, right? So for example, as I've said before, if, if the um, committees on appropriations decided that there should be an amendment to the Division of Revenue Bill. And that could be in response, for example, to, to provincial mandates as well, right? It, it need not just be located in the national legislature itself. But if, if the committees took a decision that that was necessary, how would that process, what would that process look like? How would it be substantiated? What, what resources would, would, would the members draw on in order to produce a report that satisfies the requirements of the Money Bills Act within a relatively short period of time? One issue that I've raised over many years and including during the amendment process for the Money Bills Act is, is the short time periods given to parliament, especially on the fiscal framework and division of revenue bill compared to the amount of time national treasury with all of its excellent capacity um, compared to the, the time it has to put together those proposals so in that context it's even more important to think in advance of what an amendment process would look like in practice so that's the first part but the second part is and this links to the um the, the points and questions from honorable uh, dodovu and honorable uh, moi mang around um uh, Honourable Dodovu uh, referred to the issue of rubber stamping, um, and Honourable Moimang was also referring to the questions of, of the kinds of, um, uh, of sort of substantive amendments. What do I mean by substantive amendments? If one looks at the kind of engagement that happens in Parliament around public finance issues, yes, in, in many instances it can be very robust. When it comes to amendments, though, very rarely is and I actually cannot think of a single instance in which I've, I've actually seen this, where a committee has focused, has focused its engagement on the question, should we make an amendment 
that addresses this particular issue. When there were, you know, should um, when it comes to um, tax rates, for example, is there a discussion about well, should we actually consider increasing the marginal tax rate higher than what National Treasury uh, has proposed? Um, and a recent example of that, um, and again, so this is my sort of individual uh, perspective, and it's not. Um, and members should always be cautious uh, when academics or anybody else comes along and says, you know, this is an issue that you might want to focus on. In the context of COVID-19, I was baffled, actually, that there wasn't more questioning of the National Treasury as to why they weren't proposing tax increases. Um, because in a context of a pandemic where there are very serious um, negative economic uh, implications and, of course, health implications for, for some of the most disadvantaged in the country, why are we not taking the opportunity to tax those who are, who are able to continue earning relatively well. And that could be corporations or it could be individuals. Some individuals have used the term um, solidarity tax. So that's the, kind of, that, that's the kind of specific issue that, for example, uh, um, finance committees, select and standing, could focus in on. And, and, and um, an oversight could be focused on that to say, um, first of all, what might the alternatives be to what National Treasury is proposing? Um, and, and can we get National Treasury to justify its position? Why is National Treasury uh, not proposing increases in taxes on those who are privileged enough to be able to keep on earning well, even in the current relatively dire context? So that's just a specific example of, um, of how, uh, of, uh, of a potentially substantive amendment um, that could be uh, taken more seriously um, by committees involved in the oversight process. And, and just to say again, in, in response to Honorable Moimang's uh, query around the issue of substantive, well, there's, to my knowledge, there's never been a material change to any of the money bills proposed by National Treasury as a consequence of, um, of deliberations by Parliament. In some instances, there have been some technical amendments. In some instances, National Treasury has actually requested amendments because it's picked up some, some issues in its own documents. But Parliament has never made a substantive change. So, for example, changing a tax rate, um, uh, changing the, alloc uh, the allocation of a significant amount of money and so forth, that hasn't happened. Um, so that's what I mean by saying that there hasn't been a substantive amendment. But that's not to say that there isn't robust engagement. Um, but in response to Honorable Dodovo's point about rubber stamping, I mean, I didn't use that term myself, but um, there are some individuals who I, I think justifiably suggest that it appears that Parliament rubber stamps the budget because it has never made a substantive amendment, despite the significant powers at its disposal. Um, I'm going to leave the other questions about the equitable share formula um, and other issues uh, uh, to my colleagues. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Professor Paul. Thank you very much, Chair. Um, I'd like to respond to the Honorable Duduvu um, about the, the lapdog and the rubber stamp. Honorable Member, that was, that was historical references in the context. The, the lapdog came up yesterday from Professor Corda, so I was not uh, applying that to the current parliament. However, as Dr. Muller has just pointed out, this act has been there for about, say, 10 years, and there never has been a substantive uh, amendment. So the, my query is not with how Parliament is working at the moment, basically. My query was with the legislation itself. And there is no doubt that that legislation is onerous. It is hard for members 
to fit the requirements, to re religiously stick to the requirements of the act within the time frames that they uh, that they have available. So, in terms of the improvement of the oversight model, that is point number one, and it came up repeatedly. There must be a way of offering members of parliament more time within that money bills amendment procedure to to do their work. The second point in improving the the uh, the overall oversight is and that also came up repeatedly over the years and that is for monetary resources financial resources to parliament to perhaps extend the capacity of the budget office or whatever and i take dr miller's point there uh, so that there is a second opinion from economic experts so the first one is uh, try to make more time by making that specific piece of legislation less onerous or even bureaucratic to negotiate to get more money for parliament and then the third uh, perhaps which sounded to me like like a very good idea that was raised yesterday that the chairpersons of these four committees who are now uh, invited to the budget council and the budget forum uh, on on the discretion of the minister that that could be uh, put in legislation to make uh, parliamentarians already uh, members of that. that. That is a point that came up yesterday that I thought was very good. And then if I can just um, also uh, respond to the Honourable Moema. Um, of course, the adjusting uh, suggestions in the uh, money bills, for instance, to build uh, more infrastructure to ensure that the Human Development Index uh, gets better. That is exactly what I was talking about. I was I was talking about Parliament being in a position to amend and engage to adjust priorities uh, that are actually encapsulated in, in the budget. And uh, a, a final point, and that's not one for me to answer, is whether there is one or two members of parliament that may feel intimidated by the expertise of the economic experts. So, uh, uh, the Honourable Duduvu, through you, Chair, uh, I, I was not criticising Parliament at the moment. I was actually doubting some of the aspects of the Money Bills Act. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Professor.
We will then move on to uh, Commissioner Elsa B. Rockman. Uh, any comment, Madam? Thank you, Chairperson. I will also try to be brief. Um, yes, indeed, funding must follow function. That is, that is the principle. So as responsibilities shift between the different spheres of government, the funding must equally follow. Um, there, were, there was a question about the provincial equitable share. Now, if, if we remember, 91% of the equitable share is basically data-driven. Your education share takes 48%, health takes 27%, basic components 16%. All of those are data-driven. Then your institutional component accounts for 5%, and that is divided equally between um, the different provinces. Poverty takes up 3%, and um, the economic activity takes up 1%. Now, there's been continuous um, reviews of the equitable share formula. There has been, in recent years, an attempt to bring in rurality that specifically addresses the, the, the challenges faced by rural provinces such as the Eastern Cape, Northern Cape, with vast geographical areas but lesser population that relates more to the Northern Cape. But it seems that... that National Treasury together with the provincial treasuries got stuck in finding an equitable way to bring in rurality as a component. So it seems that, that there is a new approach being formulated, but we don't have sufficient data yet about how that new approach will be brought in. But certainly in the Northern Cape, it cannot cost the same to build a house, for example, than it would cost in Gauteng just because of the vast geographical area. But the counter argument is that there are other aspects of the formula that counterbalances those challenges. But th there is ongoing work and perhaps the, the committees could in the, in the next round of consideration of division of revenue and appropriations bills, specifically look again at the equitable share formulas of provincial and local government. I think there could also be definitely a case to say there needs to be an increased focus on revenue. We tend to focus a lot on expenditure proposals, but we can try to share revenue in any which way. But if the revenue pool does not increase, we will continue to have this exactly the same challenges. So definitely a focus on the revenue could, could add some um, good perspective as well as a focus on conditional grants. I think conditional grants also tend to get lost in the, the focus of the bigger consideration of Division of Revenue and Appropriation Act. There was a comment about the recommendations of FFC um, being either disregarded or not taken seriously. Um, National Treasury response to the FFC recommendations specifically relating to Division of Revenue, financial or fiscal matters. There is an agreement between the FFC and National Treasury um, that seems to arise from around 2013. And that is now currently under discussion between ourselves to say, what is the more effective way that we can take this forward? Because indeed, many recommendations of the FFC seem to fall through the cracks because it does not relate directly to the, the scope that National Treasury would respond to. 
But equally, the FFC is also considering the strength of its own recommendations. Now, when your recommendations seem to be generic and vague, there's not much National Treasury needs to respond to. So we also have an inward um, reflection on, on how we formulate our recommendations. With regard to the, to the comment I made about Parliament having a traditional first claim on the budget, like I said, that would be achieved more through a continuous process of lobbying and advocacy and engagement between Parliament and National Treasury. It's not necessarily a legislative provision. But I know in the free state, there is quite a, a constructive process between the provincial treasury and provincial legislature to ensure that there is a balance of the needs and the requirements within the fiscal context that is available. Unfortunately, Parliament will be subject to the same limitation of resources than all of us. Independence does not mean isolation. We all draw money from the same revenue fund. Um, so our prioritization of expenditure within our own institutions also plays a significant role then. I think one of the strongest oversight mechanisms of the NCOP has been the NCOP Provincial Weeks and the reports that are produced. And that is certainly a strength that the NCOP can build on. Um, I think almost all provinces take the NCOP Provincial Week, the oversight visits, extremely seriously, and it becomes almost a focus to make sure that issues raised during those provincial weeks gets prioritized to be addressed. I think that is a very good initiative that certainly can be strengthened further. Thank you very much. No, thank, thank you very much, uh, uh, Commissioner. Um, that, uh, uh, honorable members, uh, marks the, the end of the, the, the first uh, session uh, for today. Um, I'm sure the, the issues as they, were, as they were raised will be captured in the, in the, in the reports um, uh, and summaries, high-level summaries, uh, to be made available uh, later uh, to the NCOP. We will now move on to uh, looking at the, the second part of the, the session, uh, the topic being tools for effective budget and fiscal oversight, uh, parliament existing procedures and practices for effective fiscal over, oversight. And our presenters are going to be uh, Dr. D. Janches, uh, Honorable uh, uh, DG Matangu and Honorable Y. I. Karim. Um, uh, just very briefly, uh, uh, the first presenter is going to be Tumsan Joseph uh, Janches. Um, uh, he holds a PhD in public finance from the University of Birmingham and an MPhil uh, in LLM. Uh, in international uh, economic law, trade, business, and investment law, Master of Science in Finance with Merit, Master of Commerce, uh, and, and a postgraduate certificate in, re in research met methodology. Uh, uh, Mr. J uh, Dr. Janges is the director of the Parliamentary Party Office, uh, uh, 
Honorable Gigi Matlangu, we're well familiar with. Uh, uh, she's the chairperson of the committee on appropriation. And Honorable uh, uh, YM Karim, uh, equally familiar with, uh, is the chairperson of the committee on finance. So we'll move straight to a presentation by Dr. Kumisani Joseph Janjis. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Chairperson uh, of the National Council of Province. Good morning, honorable members. Good morning, the Deputy Chairpersons, House Chairpersons, Chief Whip, honorable members, uh, uh, fellow panelists, uh, or fellow speakers, colleagues. Um, I should have just said, uh, you know, all protocol observed. Thank you so much for the opportunity, uh, Chairperson, um, for PBO to make contributions in this important, important discussions. I've circulated my presentation. I just learned uh, earlier that actually the, not the presentation will be flighted. So I'll just uh, read to, to on the notes that I've made, uh, but I've circulated the presentation. I'll try to rush through. Um, I listened to many speakers and contributors over the past two days. Uh, uh, my presentations will make further contributions with particular focus on the role of parliamentary budget office in its support to the uh, National Council of Province Fiscal Oversight. Uh, the chairperson, my presentation is, I broke it down into uh, three folds. Uh, the first part is just to give a context of the, uh, the establishment of Parliamentary Budget Office, but, but largely give you a context looking at the other jurisdictions or international experiences in terms of the, the establishment of the Budget Office and similar, similar institution. And then the second part of my, my presentation will cover the South African context of Parliamentary Budget Office and uh, share with the, the, the honor members and the colleagues and, and participants what are some of the uh, approaches or what we're thinking on some of the issues, how we shape our support to fiscal oversight. Well, as many colleagues have uh, given com comments and, and inputs in this regard, but I think I'll shape it in a way that it focuses largely on what we're hoping to do over the next few years in support of fiscal oversight. The last part of my presentation, Chairperson, will highlight some of the key uh, challenges and opportunities facing South African legislative oversight process uh, that requires attention and also see how, uh, as a budget office, we, we will be supporting the legislature in addressing some of those key weaknesses. Starting with the first part of my presentation, uh, before you know, getting into more details, uh, I want to provide this context uh, of establishing budget office, uh, also taking into account the literature and the uh, on the budget office or similar institutions from the international international experiences there uh am i clear chairperson uh, I, I forgot to ask that <laughs> oh yeah, we have yeah. Seen... Uh, just oh, thank yes thank, thank you so much uh we have seen uh that the, the scale and level of technical expertise knowledge of members of parliament varies across across countries uh, uh, over, overall you know and, and, and I know this because uh, our engagements with our counterparts, our colleagues, um, our colleagues, uh, take this up, our colleagues uh, and from other countries, we often discuss and say, look, how do we really uh, pitch our work in a way that it really becomes accessible to members of parliament and they can make use of it in their oversight capacity. So definitely there's a, a cross um, a variance in, in terms of the expertise that members of parliament do have. 
more so looking at the fact that uh, uh, governments across the world have uh, treasuries and finance department functions that have so much high technical capabilities, which allows them to really uh, deliver services and also be able to, uh, you know, provide this massive uh, um, policy development and so on. Whereas the legislatures often have limited capacity in that regard. And in recent years, we've seen that as a result of much needed capacity over fiscal oversight, many legislatures across the world continue to strengthen their oversight capacity structures. Uh, and, and, and that international experience has also shown that the level of technical expertise capabilities required by the legislative uh, oversight, using the word legislative as a colloquial word, um, it, it's largely dependent on which of the three categories mentioned by our colleagues uh, does the parliament belongs to, whether the, the parliament is budget-making parliament or is a budget-amending parliament, or is a rubber stamping parliament. That certainly affects the structure or rather affects the, the level of expertise or support structure that we want. And of course, in our situations in Africa, clearly there are constitutional uh, frameworks which uh, shaped the way our uh, money bills act is, is, is ought to be recognized. I had the, the colleagues who mentioned that as well. And that is very important in understanding the context from which uh, the legislative the side is, is taken up and how it unfolds. In, in, in that regard. I mean, international, so clearly, from international understanding and expectancies, we've seen that the continued recognition that there's a need for such technical capability outfits in, in the legislators' environment uh, to support members' role in oversight. And of course, that depends in terms of how uh, the, the, the capacity is used or how capacity is perceived by members of parliament in the process. And, and this is a background at the continued uh, failures by governments across the world to give account on service delivery and, and development indicators, and which has led to many uh, 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 legislators be strengthening, uh, needing to strengthen their capacity in that regard. A, a quick example, which the Deputy Minister yesterday mentioned, is around the global, the 2008 global financial crisis, where we've seen, which was a failure by uh, many governments across the world to understand the complexities and properly regulate the financial sector. I've seen many legislators enacting laws, establishing units within their uh, spaces where the strength of capacity is really oversighting on, 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 the, on the, the fiscal oversight or, or macroeconomic situation in this regard. And, and frankly, Chairperson, we've seen actually, uh, when you look at the, the, the space of budget office globally, more than 70% of the current parliamentary budget office or similar institutions actually were established <laughs> after the uh, 2008 global financial crisis shows the importance of recognizing that need for that capacity level, including South Africa. In this regard, even in the near, in the immediate future, in the immediate past, you know, or the current past, but the current situation, we've seen that even during the pandemic, uh, the COVID pandemic, the global parliamentary budget office continued to provide much useful impact assess analysis of the pandemic in the macroeconomic situation and, and impact of society uh, and, and, and fiscal implications. Advise legislators on accountability over government deviation from normal budget rules, budget processes. How that impacts over, uh, 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 the, the fiscals over the long time, but also many continue to provide the costing of the emergency policies. How does that impact the fiscal space? And most importantly also, uh, providing analysis, ensuring that there is sufficient information to ensure transparency and accountability within this complex environment that we live in. So there's clear context there that, um, you know, there's a quite recognition globally that there's a need for the strengthening of capacity, technical capacity in the legislator uh, perspective.
Intelligent expenditure has also shown that uh, budget office simulations are set up uh, to provide that independent research analysis within uh, many of them uh, being set up outside uh, uh, the administration or somehow set up within the uh, uh, administration itself. And, and therefore, the capacity of the parliamentary budget office to support members of parliament or oversight process is also dependent on whether the legislature can provide alternative budget, can provide that, can amend budget, and can travel the budget. And, and clearly, uh, the constitution clearly spell out that South African parliament cannot uh, provide a budget only the Minister of Finance, which gives the powers of parliament to actually amend, amend the budget. Parliamentary Budget Office functions is also influenced by whether they, they are established by an act of law or whether within the, 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 the uh, ad hoc processes um, and whether its work is published or, or whether it supports the members. So there's a very mix of bags in, 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 in this regard. And, and clearly, uh, the, the similar challenges we experience Budget Office here in South Africa and other experienced by other uh, budget offices elsewhere, like lack of funds, budgets, lack of resources, which is a big, big issue in, in providing the capacity. I heard that my colleagues were also mentioning uh, that in this regard. And clearly, the establishment of South African Parliamentary Budget Office um, followed this intentional norm in, in this regard. And this brings me to the second point of the, my presentation, Chairperson, which looks at South African uh, establishment of South African Parliamentary Budget Office and how uh, we do our work in support of fiscal oversight in this regard. Um, I mean, the establishment of, of PBO in South Africa um, was preceded by various consultative, consultative processes, I understand, uh, which also looked at some of the other uh, countries' uh, processes and some of the other countries, but also even within the country, there a lot of consultation, various political parties, various stakeholders were taken into account, and, and there was consensus of, 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 of that. Uh, this was important, uh, Chairperson and honorable members, to have also international benchmarking process where various countries with PBOs were visited uh, to understand how their budget office work as, as this is important because the country's specific context matter in establishing this support structure. And therefore, South African economic context, development context was taken and should have been taken, should be taken into account in establishing the office as it is. The consultative process was followed through by the act which enacted the, the processes of how to amend the Money Bills Act and establish this a structure to support the process in this regard. The Act further specifically uh, set out the mandate and accountability measures for the Parliamentary Budget Office led by the Director and accountable to Parliament in terms of Section 42 of the Constitution as, as it indicates there. The Office must receive a budget from the Parliament's budget to implement its mandate and also the Office is able to obtain information uh, from 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 uh, entities of government to provide that support to, to legislature. I think the point I want to uh, quickly focus on is around how we do our work because I think what we've been we had our strict plan meeting two weeks last month with the team, and and one of the issues that came up is that how do we make sure that actually our uh, our offerings are clearly uh, you know articulated or at least are understood by members at least they can take advantage of some of these offerings. And one point that we raise is look, we have established a workflow process from which. Committees may request specific analysis over and above the, the, the you know the budget and MTPS analysis, but we have mechanisms whereby committees on uh, both houses can actually approach us, and and that process very clearly spell out. You'll see that in the presentation that we are able to provide that analysis, provided committees are aware of it and and and, and are able to approach us. And of course, the issue there is also 
I mean, the act says we must provide support funds and appropriations committees. Uh, but of course, there's also opportunity to support all other committees within the within the, 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 the parliament. I mean, we just had a presentation this morning to standing committee on appropriations. And, and one of the questions that came up is how do we make sure that we capacity the office and ensure they support other, other functions within the organization in the outside post. But again, it boils back to a point which uh, Dr. Mela, I think, raised on terms of how do we also become more focused or more targeted as opposed to looking at widely which uh, limit our, our processes. And providing um, the, the context which we, we, we see our role in supporting parliament of the site, um, you know, we have drafted sort of a, a, a three-blocked uh, diagram that which shows at the national level, what happens at the national level, and what happens in parliament, and what we see our role in time to support that. At the national level, Chairperson Onombas, the country set out the development outcomes and targets, various policies, national development plan, uh, you know, MTSF, SONA, and any other uh, policy priorities in realizing the um, the quality of, of life in South Africa, from which the budget will be used to enable attainment those those uh, uh, mechanisms. So that's a very clear sense we have that at that level. And at the parliament level, oversight process is set out in terms of the money bills and related money, money bills and related matters act and other acts and rules of parliament of both houses to realize uh, those national outcomes. So assessed oversight of the government to, to to realize those initial uh, uh, outcomes. It is within this process when, where parliaments requires useful information to do its work and also take into account various stakeholders' inputs in this regard. And that brings me to the next level where we say, therefore, we therefore see our role as providing the essential information, you know, essential inside information to parliament in order to perform its oversight function to realize, to assess whether has these initial outcomes been realized and what's the progress in that regard? And, 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 and that's how we see it. My view is that our analysis and research should be packaged in a way that parliament is able to assess changes or lack thereof brought about by the budget in our society and our economy at, at large. And, and over the years since the establishment of the office, <clears throat> we have continuously done reviews in terms of uh, how to improve our offering, but also uh, uh, to get a sense of how is our offerings of research has supported the, 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 the members of parliament with the processes and how the, our analysis or our insight has been uh, used up in the process. We have provided technical support to MPs, members of parliament, when engaging various stakeholders, including economic and uh, fiscal insights, while processing the budget. And, and you'll see that through the time there's public hearings and you find that there's engagements and then we envisage to provide insight that, you know, uh, members can engage in the process. Our support analysis uh, has and will continue to contribute to a meaningful engagement between fees, uh, finance clusters and treasury. Uh, we also um, see our work as necessary to enhance capacity building for members of parliament in these areas of economics, finance, and public policy as well. You know, that's why how we shape our work. We also recognize that members of parliament come from different, uh, different backgrounds and also have opportunity to participate in global discourses. We will also try to see how we can share ideas with uh, fellow uh, budget office within the, the, the space that we operate in. And therefore, over the next few years, Chairperson, uh, we will use uh, some of the f uh, these four fundamental uh, uh, fundamentals to underpin our, our, our support, fiscal oversight, which firstly will ensure our analysis and research uh, or reports uh, are reported and presented in a form that is accessible 
to uh, are all understandable by members of parliament and continue to draw a balance between what we see as important analysis we should do and initiate on ourselves, but also uh, uh, encourage members of parliament or committees to request specific analysis from us. And thirdly, um, to ensure that there's a clear, fair, transparency, practical workflow model which can show members and committees how we do our work and how we support them. And lastly, we, we want to ensure that the office continues to be highly respected and remain independent, objective, and, and, and professional, in particular, including the director and, and members of the, of the team in, in, in this regard. In, in, our, in, in, the work, in our work, we have, uh, we have to recognize the, that the members of parliament come from diverse backgrounds. Often difficult, often difficult, it's difficult to do that because you know, we always have to make sure that we, we pitch our work in a way that we draw that balance, but we have recognized that we need to do a lot of that and also when we bring these concepts more so that many of the areas, as, 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 as colleagues have mentioned, are contested. Many of the ideas, topics are contested. And how do we make sure that we, our pitching is shaped and provide more alternatives for, or more scenarios for members when they are doing oversight? And, and, uh, and some of the key considerations, how, how to pitch and shape our work to help members of parliament assess the changes brought about the budget in, in the society and, and the economy. But also take into account our research analysis is meant to provide uh, capacity building to members of uh, our parliament. We also have a pool of uh, stakeholder engagement, uh, chairperson, all members from which we, we very big pool, which we, we, we keep abreast with development of uh, macroeconomic development, uh, fiscal development, societal development, because that also enable us to you know, have a sense when we advise members of parliament, there's a quite uh, a broad view on some of the things that takes place. And we also regularly engage with some of the colleagues in the space of oversight, AGSA, FFC, and other uh, uh, entities that we uh, look at their work and look at, compare our notes to their notes in, in strengthening our own in, in, in this regard. Now, quickly, uh, Chairperson, I don't know how much time I have. I want to quickly spend a few slides, few slides just to comment on the parliament. Uh -huh. Yeah, high-level summary. <laughs> yes, high-level summary. Okay, Thank you, Chair. Please. Just a quick um, focus on the, the, the parliament and oversight process. I think over the recent years in South Africa and internationally, we have seen increased demand from the society and stakeholders for rigorous uh, legislative oversight and governance mechanism over the government's service delivery and realizing development indicators. Look in the literature, Chair, and honorable governance and oversight it is clear that the form of governance structure that the country has, either being a two-tier or three-tier system, has an impact on the governance capability, development service, and also in, uh, in the legislature's oversight over such system in place. Therefore, the service delivery and oversight experience are different from the two-tier or three-tier spheres system thereof. One of the specific international literature experience shows that nationally developed policies and priorities are not always implemented by other spheres, regional or provincial, due to, in part, the fact that the contestations about uh, fiscal powers and weak, weaker coordination between the, these spheres, which are largely borne by local government spheres. Capable local government spheres is a, therefore a prerequisite to realize service delivery uh, objectives and other development indicators, goals, and objectives set out in national uh, uh, spheres of government. The three tier systems like South, like South Africa requires greater, um, greater cooperation between the regional and provincial and local spheres, more so in relation to the fiscal powers as, a, as this reduced complexities and governance com, uh, uh, challenges. Lastly, provincial and local government across 
uh, accounts for significant public expenditure uh, and major uh, as, as a major employer, public employers. So that doesn't be taken. Therefore, the experience and inherent limitations should be taken into account in reshaping the or improving the oversight models of parliament. Based on the uh, uh, South African parliament experience for the past five years, I mean, I've been here for a couple of years, and look, also looking forward, this, there, there are challenges uh, that, you know, uh, parliament, uh, key challenges and risks that parliament will take into account, and, and which we have looked at, and there is a need for an improved and meaningful inclusive participation and proof scrutiny for the executive, um, need for better and useful information for deeper scrutiny over the executive process, and need for address issues around limited budget and other resources for meaningful uh, 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 oversight. The last point on, on that regard is, relates to uh, the failure or lack of proper follow-up follow mechanisms, which in a way would, um, on the oversight mechanisms, which will enable, um, which leads to government remains unresponsive on issues of oversight. So that's a very important part uh, in, in, that, in the, the last slides, chairperson, last few points, which focus on the the provincial and the, and the local uh, uh, oversight. It is also important to take into account. I think one of the points that remains is it's in terms of how do we prioritize uh, oversight, you know, given the capacity that we have. And I think one of the points is that the constitution gives clear mechanisms in terms of what are some of the functions that are taken account by provinces, by local governments. And that should be a clear, a, a good guidance in terms of which areas to focus on. And, 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 and fiscal oversight should hit harm around those particular specific areas more so that uh, cross cross functional areas that are uh, between local and, and, and the provinces but but one example which i've picked up in the east african countries i think one of the colleagues mentioned that around uh, uh, one model which i found it for quite useful i also saw it in Gauteng's uh, provincial legislature money bills and eastern cape money bills act as well is around having uh, uh, appropriations or budget committees that takes into account other functional committees as members of the committee, whereby you have appropriations committees, but members of the other functional committees, like members of uh, um, chairpersons of either chairperson or member of education, health, and other functions, sits in the, the budget committees in a way that it provides that full insight that when the proposals are approved, they take into account all the views from, from other functions as well. Because the budget, in, you know, I don't see budget in isolation. I see the budget within the context of service delivery. And, and not having the members of the other uh, functions committee, which is more about service delivery, it certainly provides limitations in terms of fiscal oversight in, in, in that regard. And also the fact that members of parliament are so inducted with so much information from different stakeholders, there has to be a mechanism where there's a bit of thin slicing of that information in a way it becomes more targeted, more uh, um, useful to members, uh, given whatever priorities or given what, what is important within the, within the country. Chairperson Honourable, I'll leave it there. The conclusion slide is fine. I just, I'll just leave it there. Thank you so much for the opportunity in this regard. Thank you. Well, thank, thank, thank you very much. Uh, uh, let's move on to Honourable uh, uh, DG Mashangu. Honourable Mashangu. Thank you, Chairperson. Uh, um, uh, let me take this opportunity to thank the opportunity you have given me and uh, uh, greet you together with the deputy chairperson of the NCOP, the house chairpersons, the chief whip, councillors present uh, in this forum led by the president of Salga, Nengadimeng, 
um, the special delegates from uh, various provinces, members of the panel, uh, honorable members, and all the guests that we are having and our stakeholders. Um, thank you very much. And uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure to be part of this uh, debate, uh, which uh, are going to be very educational uh, uh, for most of us. Um, as mentioned by the chairperson, uh, when he, he started uh, introducing this uh, second session of the day, the topic is one, the tools for effective budget and financial oversight, parliament existing procedures and practices for effective financial oversight. And in this case, as the chairperson of the appropriations committee, I will be focusing on appropriations committee using the, the topic as directed or, and, or informed by the, 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 the organizers. Um, after the first uh, democratic elections in 1994, the South African parliament needed to create a legislative landscape in line with the values and principles enshrined in the constitutions. We have heard that yesterday, uh, a lot have been said about our constitution, the constitution of the Republic of South Africa. In order to achieve this, much effort was placed uh, on scrapping apartheid laws such as uh, Exchequer Act and enacting new laws such as um, PFMA, MFA, and etc. for the for our constitutional democracy. This presentation provides some insightful information on how the Select Committee on Appropriations conduct, conduct its budget and fiscal oversight over the provincial and municipal expenditure, particularly on conditional grant allocation, direct or indirect, because we understand the mandate that our focus is on the, the, the uh, provinces and municipalities. It also provides some constitutional imperatives as part of the tools for parliamentarians to effectively uh, effect their powers over the actions for the executive. Key support instruments and stakeholders as part of the tools to enhance budget and fiscal oversight, then provides some observations and, recommend, and recommendations. Um, Chairperson, in, uh, in South African context, oversight and accountability are constitution constitutionally mandate mandated functions of legislatures to scrutinize the executive actions. It's a mandated function, which is derived from the, 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 the constitution. The chapter four of the constitution, that is section 55, subsection two, requires that parliament and provincial legislatures establish mechanisms for oversight and accountability for the executive actions. The literature defines oversight as a formal and informal, watchful, strategic, and, and structured scrutiny, scrutiny exercised by legislatures, including parliament. In respect of the implementation of laws, the applications of the budget, and the strict observ um, observance of uh, statutes and the constitution. This oversight uh, uh, process 
does not pro, uh, preclude the safeguarding the usage of state resources. Uh, I've heard members that we've been talking about the 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 the, 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 the resources that uh, we we think are not enough for us to or for the government or department or whatever organs to do their work. But those little resources that we think are little, we need, we have a responsibility to safeguard them uh, as, uh, as, as, as members of parliament. Parliament and provincial legislatures have a responsibility to ensure that government uh, departments comply with the legal prescripts in pursuit of ensuring expenditure in in, is always on track. We don't just approve and give away money. We need to make sure that there is compliance in terms of the legal prescripts as they, they, they spend the money. This means that uh, although expenditure on public goods can be a constitutional entitlement, but the government has a responsibility to exercise expenditure controls to ensure the effective use of state resources. The national budget traditionally tabled in the last week of February with three uh, main components that must be approved um, or amended by parliament, namely the fiscal framework, the division of revenue bill and the appropriation bill. And I think this one will, will trigger some debate. Whether do we do that? or do we agree, uh, but is is mandated, it's mandated that we can, we can change it. The appropriation committee, committees, um, referring to both houses, the NA and the NCOP, are responsible for the division of revenue bill and appropriations bill. The division of revenue bill is the key piece of national budget legislation for provinces, as it determines in accordance with, the subsec uh, with section 214 of the constitution of the Republic. The distribution of total government expenditure across the three, uh, the three spheres of government. Money Bills Act directs that the division of revenue bill cannot be considered before the fiscal framework is approved. Hope we note that. Still on the division of revenue bill process, section, seven, section 76 uh, bill, uh, in as far as the appropriations committee is concerned, the bill provides a link between provincial, local, and national public, fin public finances and associated legislative fiscal oversight. The division of revenue across the spheres of government must satisfy a number of criteria outlined in section 214 and subsection two of the constitution of the Republic. Equitable share form, uh, formula has been developed in order to meet some of these constitutional criteria. In determining this formula, National Treasury consults provincial uh, government, the FFC, and the, 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 the SALGA, the, the, the organized uh, uh, local government uh, sphere. 
proceeding on the Section 76 bill, Chair, after the National Executive uh, has tabled the Division of Revenue Bill in Parliament, the bill is considered and adopted by the Committee on Appropriations from the National Assembly in accordance with the timelines set by the Money Bills Act. This is also mandatory by this prescript, the Money Bills Act. After which it, uh, which it is referred to the NCOP Appropriations Committee to also consider and report to the House. However, as per the mandating uh, procedures and of provinces, provinces act, I'm sorry, the select committee on appropriations must uh, in its deliberations on the bill, consider the negotiating mandate submitted by provincial legislatures which makes the processes uh, uh, different from that of the NA. This presents an opportunity for the provincial legislatures to raise issues and, and uh, national treasury to provide answers to those issues that will be raised by provinces in as far as the, the bill is concerned. Uh, now on the section 77, bill, uh, Chairperson. The appropriations bill is the last bill of the, uh, to be adopted by the appropriations committees to determine the allocation of the national uh, share of government expenditures across national departments. The bill follows almost a similar process as the uh, division of revenue bill, which first get passed by the National Assembly and get referred to the NCOP. However, the bill differs as it is referred to it as Section 77 Bill, Normal 76, which appreciates monies from the National Revenue Funds for the national government expenditure and does not require negotiated mandates from provincial uh, legislatures. So it's, 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 it's uh, implemented differently from section 76. Parliament has four months to approve or amend this bill. I have uh, given the, the narrative to the, to, the, to, the, to the organizers and the presentation, I, I hope they will share, they will share them. Still on section 77 uh, uh, bill, uh, Chairperson, this means that for up to four months of the year, national government departments are operating without a finally approved budget. However, this is addressed in section 29 of the PFMA, which allows spending of up to 45% of the previous year's budget in the first four months of the new financial year. Through effective budgetary and fiscal oversight, parliaments can eliminate poverty, inequality, and unemployment and ensure adequate implementation of the NDP. Um, Chair, on the slide, I think I will, I will pass this one. I, have, I thought I will, I will share on the slide where we have made a, 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 a diagram from some, of some sort. I think members can check on that one. Um, 
I will now go to focus on the Money Bills Amendment Procedures and Related Matters Act Number no. 9 of 2009, which establishes uh, and sets out the mandate of the appropriations committees um, as follows. Number one, spending issues. Two, amendments of the Division of Revenue Bill, the Appropriations Bill. Three, Supplementary Appropriations Bill and Adjustment Appropriations Bill. Uh, four, recommendations of the, financial, uh, of the FFC, including those as five referred to in the Intergovernmental Fiscal Relations uh, Act of 1997. That's 90, uh, Act number seven, the 97 of 1997. Reports on actual expenditure published by the National Treasury and any other related matter set out in this Act. I know we have, uh, as the committee debated March, about uh, 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 the issue of the recommendations by FFC uh, uh, with the finance um, or treasury to say the recommendations of FFC are very important and needs to be taken into consideration and we need to be engaged and convinced as the, as, as, as the committee. Uh, Chairperson, the legislative sector oversight model as a cornerstone for oversight function. The model serves to reinforce the existing principles of oversight and accountability utilized by the appropriations committee. The second one is the Public Finance Management Act and Municipal Finance Management Act as instrument for budget oversight. Uh, this one chair is uh, focusing on section 32 and 71 reports of the Public Finance and Municipal Finance Management Act. The last one here is uh, additional materials to improve budget oversight. Chairperson, despite the section 32 and 71 reports, which are used as a criterion to, defy, uh, to identify poor expenditure, the AG, PBO, PSC, FFC reports, and many other independent research materials are also used as additional material to strengthen community oversight work. Chair, let me also focus on the, the tools and procedures for, uh, oh, okay, I'm still on that, the same topic. Uh, the next uh, sub, uh, 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 item is committee recommendations on tracking. As a committee, we have discussed and uh, came up with or identified uh, uh, that there's a need for tracking. We know there are tracking systems that are legislated and powers given to the executive, but also as a committee, how are we making sure that uh, we, we follow up on, on, on what we have resolved? The committee adopted recommendation tracking mechanisms, which assisted the committee to be able to track the implementation and get specific responses from the executive regarding its recommendations. Um, we have also used co collaborative work with other appropriations and finance committees to enhance oversight impact. However, this is uh, uh, dependent on both committees, uh, committee programs being aligned. 
I'm referring to committees on both houses. Um, on collaborate, collaborative approach, again, is encouraged uh, very much so, as it provides um, some synergic uh, uh, oversight effort and also addresses inconsistency elements on information received from the uh, executive. Chair, the PBO, this is uh, established by the Money Bills Act. I think the previous uh, presenter have spoken much about it. The FFC also, we had the commissioner who spoke about it. We are still going to have a, a presentation by, by Salga. This is, these are our very important stakeholders, which are they working very closely with them. And we are trying everything possible to make sure that uh, we, 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 we harmonize the relationship and we, we serve the interests of those spheres of government. The issue of public participation and submissions by key stakeholders, uh, I mean, key stakeholders. This was also uh, uh, raised yesterday. So in our committee, we ensure that public participation and adherence to the six week cycle during the budget process uh, to allow provinces to conduct public participation process. Although this time frames has not been adequate for provinces is implemented. It has always been a problem and a concern that uh, uh, we are not giving enough time for provinces to can have in uh, uh, those uh, public consultation. Um, we have also identified some few uh, areas as to how uh, do we uh, as the appropriations committees can implement the oversight tools. Saying every beginning of a new term, the committee adopts a five-year strategic plan together with an annual performance plan, the APP, to guide its mandate and annual program for the next five years. And this can only be reviewed annually through annual performance plans. This, uh, this process is guided by a number of critical documents and these uh, uh, documents includes committee legacy report that we got in the beginning of this of the this term sixth term, parliament strategic plan, uh, parliament policy priorities for new term, outcomes of the NCOP strategic plan, strategic planning session, state of the nation uh, address the and the MTSF. Uh, we have made some observation, Chairperson, please allow me, um, and challenges as the committee in terms of uh, the, 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 the oversight role that we have to, 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 to do over the executive or over the departments. While it is understood that uh, it is in the nature of the NCOP, which consists of fewer members, the sharing of committee uh, membership with other portfolios remains a challenge for the committee to fully implement its program uh, as it is required to accommodate those other committees to also discharge 
their responsibilities using the same membership. So fortunately, in our case, in the in the in the in the in the, in the NCOP, um, uh, in terms of uh, appropriations, we have two in one. Same members of appropriations are the same members uh, of uh, finance, but there are those who have other uh, committees that they are responsible for. It is a common knowledge and a worldwide phenomenon that, that the executive arm of state always has more capacity and resources at their disposal than legislative arm. And that remains a challenge for committees to strengthen and conduct, and conduct effective oversight. And this also uh, hampers the possibility for budget amendments by the legislatures. The previous speakers have um, made an indication that uh, the incapacity of the of, of parliament uh, does uh, disadvantage the committees in making sure that uh, the work that they're supposed to do is done 100% and effectively. Uh, other uh, challenges and observations, lack of responses by the executive on uh, follows, on follows, uh, follow-up correspondences regarding the progress made in implementing committee recommendations also remains a challenge as the committee can fully uh, assess its oversight impact. Um, a recommendation tracking mechanism was developed as, I, as I've, I've indicated earlier. Very few uh, executive members do respond to our, our, our follow-ups as we're trying to follow up on 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 on, on uh, 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 resolutions that we have we've taken as the as the house or the committee, large volumes of information or presentations being submitted by the executive arm of state on the day of the meeting, hey, this one, or even night before the meeting, remains a challenge, Chairperson, and I hope. It, it's not only with us, because we need to prepare when you go to a meeting. And when they give you voluminous meeting, uh, I mean, the documents on the day of the meeting, when you are seated, how are you going to prepare? And we are, we are also uh, uh, disarming our, our, our technical staff who are supposed to analyze and compare and 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 the members also, they don't have enough 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 time. And I think uh, going forward, we will want to be very uh, drastic and send send those 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 the uh, commit uh, 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 stakeholders or organs uh, back without presentation. Um, Chair. Uh, let me jump the observation and challenges. Uh, I don't want you to cut me. Let me go to recommendations. Um, these recommendations, Shepherdson, we have um, identified them and present them for discussions or, or for noting for us to be able to improve in terms of the work that we are supposed to do. Um, the first one is cost uh, escalations on infrastructure projects and, 
and ensure projects are implemented implemented according to project scope to eliminate unnecessary deviations, which leads to fruitless and wasteful wastage or wasteful expenditure in terms of the budget allocated. Ensure that all budget leakages are addressed in the financial management system of government departments, especially given the decline in government revenue collection and poor economic uh, performance. So in line with the Section 38F of the Public Finance Management Act, uh, Management Act we have to ensure that all payment, this has been a song. I think from uh, Fifth Parliament, we, 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 we have been talking about it. It, it has been legislated, there have been pronouncements that uh, service providers, providers needs to be paid within 30 days. And it looks like departments are failing to do that. And uh, we need to come up with strategies on how, and also we need to be careful that we don't uh, brush all the departments with one paint. Uh, we need to, to come up with strategies to help us to identify where problems are like we did uh, with the Department of Agriculture in, the, in other provinces where there were lower ex, um, expenditure in terms of the, uh, the, the, the conditional grant. <clears throat> uh, going forward, uh, uh, Chairperson, on the recommendations uh, of our oversight, the lack of uh, expenditure on conditional grant, including municipal infrastructure grant. The if I can ask you, Honorable Kennedy, to just try and speed up some okay, other issues and so on. I, I'll try, I'll try that. Thank you. Um, the MIG uh, issue, also whether the audit improvement plans are being compiled. Uh, alignment between strategic management planning and monitoring and evaluation programs, uh, the MNE reports uh, by the HODs, whether they are being uh, done. Uh, this will also include the AGs reports, uh, whether the HODs and the executive, they have plans and mitigation plans uh, uh, in as far as uh, responding to what the AG have uh, raised. Um, as I conclude, Chairperson, alignment between budget allocation and projected uh, performance targets and uh, monitor the alignment between resources spent and ultimately achieved performance targets. Ensure that the departmental strategic plan and the APPs are well scrutinized. We don't just uh, uh, adopt uh, and indeed we have to also uh, use the smart principle, ensure the existence of a government uh, governance and accountability structures and frameworks in the departments. Chairperson, in conclusion, we have uh, identified a few governance and accountability frameworks uh, which are service delivery improvement plan. This is part of the, the tracking mechanism. Uh, 
There's the management structure, audit committee, professional ethics policy, fraud prevention strategic strategy or framework, internal audit unit, risk management strategy or framework, cooperative governance, ICT system, PAJA policies, and to ensure adequate supply chain management on the supply chain management system for proper uh, financial management. Uh, we have identified the following that should be in place as we, we, we do monitoring and evaluation or doing our oversight. Uh, we have identified that they should have the demand management plans, adequate, uh, I mean, sorry, uh, acquisition management plans, system for payment of uh, suppliers within 30 days, so I've spoken to that, to, to that, unauthorized expenditure. It has to be prevented at all costs. Thank you very much, uh, Chairperson, for your indulgence. Thank you. Yeah, muted. Yes, sorry. sorry, I was, I was just saying that. Thank you very much. And that will move, we're moving to Honorable Karim, who I believe will, given his, his own experience, will be able to save us uh, some few minutes. Honorable Karim, please proceed. <laughs> Uh, okay, I think we should have just had a joint one from Dickelady and myself. But Comrade Chair, um, you know, if, if there's always a gap, it seems, between our constitutional and legislative role in terms of oversight and our other responsibilities, and even between, uh, you know, bills that we pass as a parliament and our capacity to implement uh, it applies far more, I think, in the case of the Money Bills Act and the Finance Committees. Uh, the irony, of course, is that this is not a bill that came from the executive. It's an act that we passed. It's our bill Parliament did. Uh, and, and so it is that uh, it's a huge gap. And I think it's not so much lack of political will. That is there, for, unfortunately, and has to be addressed and hopefully will be addressed increasingly now. Uh, not least through this workshop, but the fact is, it seems to me, it's more about resources and capacity. And, and you know, those who criticize us, and rightly, I mean, mostly it's academics and technical experts and NGOs, I mean, they're right to say that from their vantage point, and we should accept it. However, they don't seem to sufficiently take into account the vantage point of MPs uh, and what we have to contend with. And I mean to focus a bit on that. Uh, uh, but because of time now, I'll try to reduce it substantially. So the first point I want to make is that uh, what do we actually do within our constraints? Well, firstly, uh, before the budget is introduced by the Minister of Finance, third Wednesday of February usually, we have the PBO address us to alert us to some of the issues that we might want to think about in looking at the budget. Then the Minister comes on the Wednesday, presents the budget. Then on the Thursday from 12.30 to about 3 o'clock, the four committees from both houses meet with the minister and have a question and answer thing mainly. 
Then on the following Tuesday, the PBO and FFC address us and tell us what their take is on the budget. On the Wednesday, we have public hearings. On the Friday after that, we have the National Treasury reply to the submissions of the public hearings. Then the NGOs who are there reply to National Treasury. The National Treasury replies to them. And it's then and then only that we consider policy issues. And much of that is processed for a report that the chairs from both houses take responsibility for. Then what we do is we go to uh, uh, on the Wednesday to vote on the report. So certainly uh, my view is that uh, that process, as I think we all agree, is far too squeezed. We tried in fact to increase the latitude of that, uh, the number of days and so on. But it's easy to say we should have more time but immensely difficult to implement as we found in 2018. It's one of the main reasons why we amended the bill, the act as it were. And in fact, what we found was that, you know, it's really not easy. Uh, we, if you were to extend the time for us to do the fiscal framework, it means you have to extend the time for the appropriations bill and the division of revenue. And that means parliament running into July, which means your constituency time is eroded, your Easter constituency time also. In November, December, it's worse when the MTBP is there. So there's no simple answer. We battled and battled, engaged with Parliament's lawyers and with the Chief Whippery and so on at the time, 2018, and we couldn't find an answer to this question. So easy to say, but it means revamping the entire, entire program of Parliament. And, you know, that's something that's very difficult to do. Look at this year, local government elections. It means we have very limited time. So... Uh, uh, what we do, in fact, when we do the report, let's stress, is we get the NGOs and those who made submissions to send summaries. So we merely include their summaries in the first two thirds of the report. The remaining third belongs to us as the committee, and we, in fact, uh, make recommendations. We also send this report to all the stakeholders. Uh, we've opened the door to public participation in the 2018. We extended the latitude of that, but it's difficult. Regrettably, who comes to this public? Because the big unions, not the small ones, um, we have, uh, you know, uh, the big business people, not small business people, we have the big NGOs, not the small NGOs, and regrettably, it's not demographically representative of the population of our country, either in terms of gender or in terms of the national question. It's mainly dominated, regrettably, at this stage, 27 years beyond the democracy, rights, and so Indian fellow citizens. You hardly get so-called colleagues coming and Africans are certainly not there in the numbers. Even the NGOs that represent primarily disadvantaged communities uh, are not themselves represented at these hearings by disadvantaged communities. Of course, it's important to have everybody across all racial and cultural barriers take part in parliament so they'll be inclusive and we avoid people looking for extra parliamentary means of meeting their needs. Through the tax bills, however, there are difficulties with the rates and monetary bill, as you know, elsewhere in the world to be discovered. Although NGOs want to take this to the constitutional court, uh, our lawyers say it's unlikely the court will disagree with what we do. When you announce the increases on customs and excise, on, for example, cigarettes and so on, it comes into effect immediately. The rates and monetary bill we can change as a committee, but it will mean that we have to do it retrospectively, and there are huge complications to that. So we've, what we've done with the other two bills, we often send the executive, uh, de, the, uh, the treasury and the NGOs to settle the issues there because the tax bills are extremely complex and we do not have a tax expert on the NCOP side. So we often ask them to negotiate and come back to us, but finally we make the decision. 
Uh, the 2018 amendments were also made to give more independence to the PBO, as somebody suggested earlier. I agree with Sean on his views about the BRRR being very limited in its value for practical terms on his issues on sequencing. And he's quite right if he is saying this, that there's not enough consultation of the relevant committees, if, for example, it's health and so on. But I don't agree with many of the other things he says, but I don't want to dialogue with him now. Do we make changes? Yes, of course we do. But often it's managed by National Treasury. Partly, it's, sometimes they come to us and say, we're going to make these changes because it, the NGOs have alerted us to it, or you as parliament have. Now, let me put to you what exactly is the task for both, both, both committees, appropriations and finance. Section 8.5 in our case says, if you want to amend the bill, you must ensure appropriate balance between revenue expenditure and borrowing, debt levels and debt servicing charges are reasonable, ensure that there's adequate provision for spending on infrastructure development, overall capital spending and maintenance, the short, medium, and long-term implications that we consider the fiscal framework, division of revenue and national budget on the long-term growth potential of the economy and the development of the country, take into account cyclical factors that may impact on the prevailing fiscal position and take into account all public revenue and expenditure, including extra budgetary funds and contingent liabilities. We simply do not have the capacity to do this. We just don't. And we can't match national treasury. So often we have to go to them for help. Uh, quite frankly, you know, it's correct. It took us very long between the 1996 Constitution and the 2009 Money Bills Act being passed. And National Treasury was the main obstacle to that. Endless exchanges between the ministers and the speaker and NCOP chairperson got us nowhere for 13 years. I've no doubt the National Treasury hand on this. Now, on the one hand, it's correct. You can't just allow portfolio committees to just do what we want without taking those into consideration will tend towards populism, especially in local government elections, your national and provincial year. So actually, the national trees is right that these things have been met, but we don't have the capacity to do it, actually. That's a fact. And uh, the key to understanding, I think, well, how we go forward is to firstly be clear that the fiscal framework that we deal with, it's mainly a national assembly issue. These are national issues you're looking at. You're looking at the macroeconomic framework, uh, you pay the same income tax if you're in, in Sindusi, where I am, or you're living in Johannesburg. There's no provincial difference between what I pay my personal income tax and a person in Joburg. And, and, and really, if you look at inflation, this overall inflation, if you look at borrowing, it's international or, or, or domestic borrowing is largely through national treasury, nationally. If you look at debt to GDP ratio, if you look at all of these indices that we look at, uh, when we look at the fiscal framework, there are obviously provincial variations budget surpluses or budget deficits and so on. But we only look at them at the national level and there's therefore a very limited role. The key point as the chairperson said yesterday is to focus on the division of revenue bill. That's where we have a big say because our main concern as the NCOP is to look at national, uh, look at national issues from the point of view of the needs and interests of provinces and local government. We spend too much of time, I think as a whole as the NCOP and certainly our committee the Finance Committee, duplicating what the NA Committee is doing. Our other major responsibility is to process bills. Uh, and frankly, they have not been coming fast and thick as they used to before the 2019 uh, uh, term. So we haven't had as many bills in this two years, in these two years than we've had before. So where do we go from here, finally? Well, firstly, a conceptual tool. When we're talking of tools, what are we talking about? We're talking about a conceptual tool. The best tool we can have is to fully understand what we are required to do in terms particularly of the Money Bills Act, but also understand the power we have 
actually we have enormous power, as has been pointed out. Uh, uh, we've been asked, do you actually change the bills? You don't actually change them. That's not true, actually. I mean, if you look at the VAT, obviously national treasury processed it, but we had a three-year cycle. We told them, no, it's not going to be permanent. We had huge fights with them. But obviously, the three years later, we were accosted with many difficulties. The committee members changed, and not least 12 COVID-19 hit us. So we haven't followed through on this. On the carbon tax bill, there were many, many changes proposed by the committee and the NCO, but because we don't have the capacity to change it ourselves, we don't have wonderful constituency, content advisor, a wonderful, uh, uh, very effective researcher, but you can't match the DG of Treasury with all these years of experience. Or take a person like Momanyat, who's been there for thousands of years, whose history goes back as many of the chairperson, as you know, more than I, to 1970s as a political activist, who's been traveling around the world and now virtually, uh, and engaging with huge uh, global institutions and so on. What can our little content advisor or me as a chairperson or, or the researcher be able to do to match them? Uh, the, so, so really we do have the power, but we can't match that power with the resources and capacity have. Our specific role has to be stressed in the second point. The third point is look at our resources. The fourth point, look at our capacity, not least myself as a chair, I'm no technical expert. The fifth is to look at the time and space that we have, uh, partly I covered that others did. We should also look at, at, really, do people fully appreciate, for example, those who make some of these comments from outside parliament as much as we respect them, do they fully appreciate what the role of an MP is? Do they appreciate how much chairpersons and whips in particular, but chairpersons mainly, I suppose, have to engage outside of meetings with NGOs a lot of the time over the telephone and so on, and have meetings with them over their submissions, engage with national treasury officials and so on. Now take this here. COVID-19 is meant for many of us, if not all of us. Our constituency work has soared. It's a local government election year. We have political issues to address. All of those things have to be taken into account when you say, some of you do, that we just don't want to make these changes. We don't have the political will. Then it's a matter of political will too, which we have to address. And that resides with the powers that be in this house and those who serve on the NEC and PECs and all of us. We are in branches. So in our party, we need to make uh, do with well, what we can, but also we have to create far more space. Then, so the seventh point is, so what can we actually do? I think really we should look at these five other points before that and adapt our strategy more effectively. Instead of going through this formula where the committee section sends us the five-year strategy plan, we just type in you know, uh, the compliance thing. We need to be more, more political in our strategy and I think that um, it may well mean amending the MBA to create more space for public participation and so on, while recognizing the limits of time, uh, because uh, I said, uh, you know, the program, we tried, uh, the program can't be changed of parliament, it's very difficult. So, so we need to be more selective in what we choose to do, within the many things we have to do. And I think we do need some amendments, both in the direction of more public participation, but also less onerous responsibilities while ensuring that parliament's not given the sway to actually just change a budget at will because of some political or other pressure. And it's on the basis of these seven things, Comrade Chair, that I think a strategy has to be developed. Thank you. Well, thank you very much. Um, uh, we, we are in trouble in terms of time. Uh, but let's see how far we go in the next uh, 20 minutes or so. Uh, 
before we go for, for lunch. Uh, are there any comments, questions, comments? Let's start with the Sokaile Kanyile. Brenda Kanyile will be followed by Manda Hai. That's of those two. Socks. Thank you. Thank you very much, Chair. Uh, mine is a comment, and this comment must not be misunderstood to mean that I'm done playing the various tools which have been outlined by the speakers. It is more a call for emphasis also on the aspect as I will raise them. And I think Honorable Karim has raised some of them. I think you'll remember, you'll know, Chair, that our system and approach emphasizes that budget and fiscal oversight is effective if, if it happens at three levels. One at the beginning of the budget process, which is through the interrogation of the, of the annual performance plans. This is a platform at which uh, uh, parliament and provincial legislatures ensure that the envisaged budget will have an impact in the radical social and economic transformation, which includes the realization of objectives of the various progressive policy documents uh, including the National Development Plan. The question is, whilst we do undertake this process, is there more we need to do to ensure its effectiveness, particularly in ensuring an effective budget? The second level of our effective oversight is in-year monitoring by parliament and provincial legislatures by interrogating what are supposed to be quarterly reports of the executive departments and entities. Uh, the question we should be asking is if our legislatures capac are capacitated to also ensure that budget spent during these periods continue to make the necessary impact as you would have envisaged in the beginning. The third level chair, which is to a certain extent mandated to the public accounts committees as it relates to their ex post facto oversight role on financial management and, 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 uh, and, pub, and public uh, finance accountability uh, in, the, in, the, in the reporting period. For, for me, Chair, is that all these three levels of oversight must find a way to be complementary if you have to be effective on oversight on budget and budget and fiscal processes. The, the biggest challenge of parliament as their, and this is my last point, the, the biggest challenge of parliament as the representative of the people is the capacity to ensure effective participation of the same people, the, the, the budget and fiscal processes of parliament and provincial are supposed to, to, to serve. It can be argued that public participation is more easily implemented at local government level I'm referring here to involvement of ordinary citizens. It gets a bit complicated in provincial legislatures and more difficult at NCOP and parliamentary level, except if there are like uh, outreach like taking parliament to the people. On the contrary, at the levels of parliament and the NCOP, it is easy to solicit active participation by organized formations and professional stakeholders and more difficult as one gets to the other spheres of government, especially local government. So the question, Chair, that you should be asking is that have we invest, invested more in utilizing our constituency offices to empower oversight on budget? I submit, Chairperson, that our system of government is about prioritizing involvement of the public, and I think 
That's what Honorable Karim was also trying to emphasize, or has, has been has emphasized. This is one approach uh, or one tool that could bring more meaning to our budget and fiscal oversight as envisaged by pol political our political vision. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you very much, Sox, Let's move to Chai. Honorable Chai. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chairperson, and uh, also thanks to the presenters uh, from uh, Dr. Jang, uh, uh, Honorable Mashlangu and uh, uh, Honorable uh, Karim. Um, I think the, the, the last presentation by uh, uh, Honorable uh, uh, Karim is uh, uh, depressing, uh, especially with all these tools uh, that uh, we're talking about of uh, financial oversight is uh, raising the issue of a uh, uh, lack of capacity uh, by parliament in terms of following and implementing uh, uh, these oversight uh, tools. Um, he's mentioning the capacity in treasury, uh, technical people that are there that uh, as parliament were unable to match. It goes back to the issue of uh, um, the, the, the role of parliament as an arm of state, um, that it should really not be uh, treated the same way uh, departments are, are, are treated. There's nothing that stops uh, a, a parliament from going to, to, like other countries do, go to the, to the revenue fund and check how much has been collected and then take its, its uh, share uh, of the fund and then, and, and then uh, 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 do oversight based on the resources uh, that it has so that it also builds the capacity, the same capacity that uh, Treasury has. But also nothing stops uh, Parliament from sourcing the capacity that it doesn't have uh, uh, from outside uh, so that it can uh, uh, conduct it. So you can't just throw hands because we, we don't have capacity, uh, internal capacity, when there are other uh, 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 institutions outside parliament uh, that have capacity to do what uh, Treasury is doing uh, in, in, in terms of capacity. So I'm saying that uh, we will be abdicating our responsibility as parliament if we can't do what we're supposed to be doing, which is in the constitution, only because we don't have uh, internal capacity. Um, so, so therefore, Chair, I'm saying that uh, the parliament, I mean, uh, the two committees, are, uh, as we listen to Comrade uh, um, Matangu, that they, they, they make observation as well as a recommendation. And also she's talking about the mechanism of tracking the implementation of those recommendations. For example, I think in one of the reports they tabled to us was around the, the, the issue of uh, the implementation uh, of the Financial Sector Transformation Summit uh, 
we would like to know to what extent has that uh, been implemented, uh, talking about uh, explore, exploring of boosting of revenue by taxing income and profits from the digital economy, uh, tackling uh, illicit uh, financial flows by establishing uh, the interministerial committee uh, by, by president of the country. Uh, they also talk about uh, uh, pay attention to aggressive tax avoidance, including the base erosion and profit shifting by uh, multinational companies, as well as uh, amend the MBM uh, to, to address uh, the issues of uh, time constraints. He was, she was uh, raising that, uh, uh, particularly when it comes to mandates from provinces and uh, the public hearings. There are challenges uh, of time constraints. What's stopping uh, 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 and then the committees from initiating the, the bills uh, that uh, address uh, this issue of uh, time frames so that uh, they, they, they address, uh, they, they give opportunity uh, for the committee and the public uh, to, to make their inputs uh, on these budget processes. Including, uh, I think the, the, the money bills uh, or uh, uh, the responsibility in terms of initiation of the policy uh, by the Minister of Finance. There's nothing uh, stopping uh, the amendment to that effect, uh, including amending the constitution to give powers to parliament to, to be able uh, to initiate uh, uh, bills uh, around uh, these particular issues. So, the, so, so that uh, this, whatever recommendations that are, are being made by the committee are not ignored. Uh, for example, on the issue of the division of revenue, I think that the president of uh, uh, Saga uh, always has uh, strong views uh, uh, on that man, uh, around the fact that uh, uh, the, the allocation to, 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 to the local government is smaller compared to other spheres, yet uh, the bulk of the work uh, of the country is mainly at a local government level. Uh, uh, what, what is it the committee, uh, the two committees are doing to, to address uh, those uh, particular issues? The last point is on the, uh, the relationship between the finance appropriation as well as other committees, uh, the issues that uh, uh, come out in the meetings that they would have uh, with Treasury or other entities in that space with, with uh, other, other committees. If, for example, the, the, the issue of water is an example, how do they make sure that the committee that is dealing with uh, uh, water and sanitation becomes aware of the issues that are discussed in the Appropriation Committee or Finance Committee? Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Honorable uh, Hai. Uh, Pinky, Honorable Pinky. Thank you very, uh, very much, uh, Honorable uh, Chairperson. Uh, I think I will just be adding from what uh, my colleagues have raised. Uh, given the comments in terms of the incapacity of Parliament of amending the, the budget uh, for various reasons. My take will be uh, at what level 
does the Parliamentary Budget Office advise Finance Committee and Appropriation Committee? From and then and then uh, the question adding to that is is there is there okay at, at, at what level does the parliamentary budget office uh, get involved in the budget process does it start from what honorable uh, Kanile said or it only uh, uh, deal with it at the at the tail end thank you very much Okay, now thank you very much. Uh, there we are, honorable members. Uh, can we revert back to uh, the presenters um, and find out if they have any, any take on the matters? Uh, let's start with the uh, Dr. Changes. Any comment? Uh, thank you. Thank you so much, Chairperson. I'm aware of the, the time constraints. Just a quick comment. I think um, this session is about the tools of effective budget oversight. Um, uh, my point here is that I think the Constitution provides a clear framework in that regard um, in terms of what kind of oversight mechanism should be in place. Um, and I think the, the issue of public participation is a very important issue insofar as um, what kind of inputs are taken uh, into account from the public participation and how those inputs influence the budget itself or the process of society itself. South Africa is ranked uh, as one of the highly open, uh, transparent in terms of budget uh, 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 transparency internationally. But one of the parts that we, we fall short every year in the ranking is around public participation, which lacks its low, very ranked low, I mean, last year was ranked 24 out of 10 points. This shows that there's very need to the, even though the constitution provides for that framework, but it's not being taken into account within the oversight in that process. The second point, Chair, is about the, the Money Bills Act and, and, and the process in terms of, you know, how does it go? I think during the amendments, you know, I had a, a privilege of being part of the process of amending the act. One part, what, one objective of our amendment was straight to make sure that there's enough time uh, given to Parliament to uh, uh, even do amendments and to, uh, to oversight over the fiscals. And, and I'm, I'm quite convinced, Chairperson and Honourable Members, that I don't think that has been used effectively. I mean, I mean it's been used uh, completely. I mean, what I'm basically saying is that I think there's still scope. Uh, there's enough time given to Parliament to actually make changes to the budget if you want to, just that it has not been tested. But again, it goes back to the issue of the processes that are in place, other specific processes that would enable the legislature to even make the changes and make the guidance. But again, it goes back to the role of the oversight set out in the constitution. The last point by Honorable Pinky, um, we get involved in, in to the entire process of the budget. We, we do provide updates on, on the development of the budget implementation, but we spend a lot of time in the planning phase. Most of our time, we invest a lot in the planning phase and provide critical analysis. But even during the, the three stages, as mentioned by the another member there, we do get involved in the process. And But I think uh, our work, we put our work out there for members to use, but also members can come to us directly and say, look, uh, 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 please advise us on this particular part of the budget in the process. Thank you so much, Chair and members. No, thank you very much. 
Masangu, a word or two. Thank you, Honorable Chairperson. I think uh, most of the, the issues raised by the, the members uh, were matters of emphasis and uh, eye-opening issues that we need to, to, to look into. And I would have appreciated uh, that members recommend uh, uh, on, on how they want, how they see things and how do they recommend that we should do things. Uh, I agree with what the uh, um, uh, Honorable Sokaile have said. The issue of the in-year uh, monitoring, that there's a lack of capacity uh, in terms of the, 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 the provincial legislature. And we are saying the same thing here at the national level. But um, on the issue of the public participation, 100%, I agree with you. The local government, they do the, the IDPs, but how does uh, nation, other levels of uh, uh, government, other spheres of government, like uh, the provincial government and national government support the, the local government in terms of the participation when they do their IDPs, it's, it's a problem. So those are the few things that I can talk to. And also lastly on what, uh, uh, Honorable Chai have said, he also spoke on the, actually emphasized on what the, the Honorable uh, Karim have said. And we welcome the, the advices and the recommendations. And uh, I have seen the, the DG from, from Treasury, uh, these technical questions that they came from Honorable Chai, whether the possibilities of uh, being able to go to, to the revenue to check how much we do have, uh, as uh, unlike relying on what Treasure is saying, is something that I think uh, technical uh, people like the DG uh, can, can, can assist and, and advise in, in that uh, order. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much. Honorable Karim, last word. Uh yeah, thank you very much, Chairperson. Firstly, no, no, Mandela. It was never meant to be depressing. On the contrary, uh, the approach was if I had time uh, and I spelled out a strategy, it's the reverse to say it's not, a, you see, it's a response because I did this very fast. I understand why there may be misunderstandings, Chairperson. But the point being made is it's not a lack of political will. Many of the NGOs and others who say we don't do enough to amend the money bills, please suppose that it's because we're scared of the executive or somebody in Lutuli House, whoever that might be, tells us not to do this and so on. No, it's really a lack of, we have two people, Chairperson, who are, if you call intellectual or technical researchers. How can we match national treasury? There is no other committee that has to manage something like Section 85 of the bill. I read out Section 85. It is extremely difficult and yet it's necessary. So all one is saying is link my comments earlier to the strategy comment Mandla, is to say, let's adjust and be realistic. Yes, we can get support services from NGOs and so on, but they all have a vested interest, including the academics. They're very ideologically driven. They mean well, they offer good advice, but they also have their interests. So we've tried that as well. On the matter of time, it will take too long to explain. There is no simple answer. I agree with uh, Dumasani that we can have a bit more time, 
but not much more. Believe you me. We spent, Chairperson, something intermittently of 15 to 18 months from the time we had a new version of the bill that came from legal services unit with our political input to the time we voted on it. The main thing that held us back is, Chairperson, how do you do these things when you've only got 12 months in a year and 24 hours in a day? So all I'm saying is the time thing, can we talk offline? For those who are interested, you can phone me. It is not easy. We tried. So it's, I don't think we need any constitutional amendments with due respect. I think we need more resources and more capacity. And we have to have a more realistic strategy as we get there. And we must get there. I'm not fatalistic at all, not at all. We do what we can do, but it's not lack of political will. That's my main point. Sorry that I didn't make that clear enough. Secondly, we do participate in the budget forum and budget council as observers. At the end of the meetings, normally the minister does say, does the chair, do the chairs want to say anything? We restrain ourselves because really we don't want to be part of the executive process and then hold ourselves to account if we participating in that process. Uh, I could say a lot more, but I want to stress finally, Chairperson, please, because I rushed through my bullet points as it were, I'm not suggesting that because we don't, we have limited capacity and limited resources, therefore we cannot do more. In short, Comrade Bandla, we can certainly do more, but not as much as we need to do. Not until we implement an incremental strategy of five years or more to get there. And we must get there. And we certainly will get there. But we need the cooperation of Parliament's powers that be and ourselves as well and the whole of the Parliament. Thank you. Yeah, I, I guess uh, the, what Rob was saying as well is, is having uh, gone through the, the, the process that there may be issues to, to follow up. Uh, one of those would be the question of, of getting the, the committee uh, together with the uh, whole of the NSOP to answer the question, how do we ensure capacity and how do we ensure that uh, uh, we have uh, adequate uh, resources. Uh, as Honorable Karim says, it's, it's, it's never easy, but I'm sure uh, as revolutionaries, uh, uh, we know that we should uh, remain eternally optimistic. If you don't like the word revolutionary, at least to, to, to say that as an activist parliament, uh, we remain eternally optimistic and we have to pursue these issues and find answers to uh, some of the most complex uh, challenges uh, that face us. Uh, on that note, uh, uh, honorable members, uh, uh, can we then uh, close the, the session and, and have lunch between now and uh, uh, two? Will that work, 30 minutes? Thank you. Agreed, 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 Chair. We can't discuss that time. I agree with you, Chair. 30 minutes, uh, refresh, we come back, Chair. Thank you very much. Thank you, bye, thank Thank you.